Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video or podcast on your favorite platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the videos or MP3 files, which you can download and enjoy without commercial interruptions. If you're into classic horror, ghost, and adventure stories, I narrate Nightshade Diary, and you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If scary stories are your bag, and listening to encounters with cryptids, ghosts, dogmen, and other weird creatures sends a shiver up your spine, then go to SupernaturalStoryTime.com for links to our weekly podcasts. Noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird can be found at eerie.news or visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Please subscribe to my newsletter on Substack. Just go to mppelliser.com for a link. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. Even though I know this is a little bit staggered, this is uh, one week of... Uh, after Thanksgiving and everybody I hope had a good Thanksgiving and uh for those of you who are old enough once upon a time they had a really funny commercial that it, it was something like you know the uh partridge in a pear tree song but it was like the 12 days of eating turkey and leftovers and yeah I had a couple of days like that where it was like okay I've had my turk my, my fill of turkey for a good long time so yeah you know like when you think what, how many dishes can you make with turkey yeah, something like that. So, but, and of course, now we're in preparation for the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, everything else. It's like, you know, this home stretch to the end of the year. And again, I'm going to, because um, everybody had asked me about the last year that I did that New Year's resolution hypnosis um, video. And they said, don't put it out so late. And I'm not, I'm going to be releasing it probably within the next week or so, as in what you need to do as far as making sure that the news resolution is resolute. How's that? And because let's face it, this is the time that everybody they're but you know what the way to hell is paid with, right? The good intentions part. And um, subconscious as a way of basically sabotaging you really, really well, especially sometimes after, and I said this in the last video, after you spent a lot of money on gym memberships, clothing, uh, dating apps, whatever sites, anything that costs money because everybody thinks, you know, if I pay for this, I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. All right. So anyway, just check, check back and, or more than likely I will announce it on the newsletter, which is why I urge everybody to sign up for the newsletter on Substack because in there, I make all the announcements about everything, the giveaways, uh, things of this nature. Uh, I put on there weird articles about weird things. And uh, I also put some of my older video interviews, anything. It, it, it's just a bunch of interesting and to me, interesting stuff. So, but anyway, uh, I have not forgotten about that. I have not forgotten about the news resolution video. Um, and I know a lot of people, believe it or not, they, they afterwards, they, I got a lot of comments and feedback saying, you know what? I hate to say it, but what a lot of what you said, uh, it's happened to me before. And 
and it was like, yeah, been there, done that, been there, done that. And it was only after um, I worked as a hypnotherapist that I understood why a lot of times, you know, it's the big hurrah, you know. And, and by the way, it's not only our fault. There's a lot of commercial uh, commercialism that drives that. Like I said, right about, you know, besides the, the, the holidays, the Christmas and the gift giving, you see all the big stores roll out all their exercise gear, vitamins, you name it, all the good intentions that people think that I'm going to do now. Yeah. Yeah. We're pushed right along into that. But anyway, let's get on to the good part. Um, today I have a guest. This is the first time she's been here on stories of the supernatural. And she, she's an author. She's an author. Her name is Vicki Joy Anderson. Okay. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she was, she dreamt of being a writer just like her mom. So she started writing poetry when she was 10 years old. Uh, she went on to attend the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota. She received a Bachelor of Science degree in English with a writing emphasis. Uh, but she says here in Northwestern, it was no ordinary institution. We were required to have a major in Bible. That's interesting. This has served me well as I have prayerfully stepped forward in the calling of my life, which is spiritual warfare and topics that are on the edges of fringe. It is very important that you know who you are receiving information from. I totally agree with that. And what their belief system is. Uh, she's listed the courses that, and this has been part of her, and we'll, we'll, she's going to give us, well, she's going to give us information. I'll provide it in the credit to the show as to where she lists the courses she took so that uh, they can have confidence in her biblical education, uh, which was a solid foundation for both her life and her writing. Okay. Uh, she's she's written and researched topics that the average American church ignores or denounces. Uh, and she came from towards them or or basically researched them from a bedrock of scripture and an intimate relationship with God of the Bible. Um, and she she says here she was called to address these issues that plague so many believers and non-believers alike, shining light in the darkness, providing scriptural tools and weapons, helping them to break free from the dark ties that bind and lead leading the unsafe to Jesus. So help me welcome her. How are you doing today, Vicki? Hey, Marlene, thank you so much for having me on. On the contrary, it is my pleasure. So let me ask you, when you went to the university, did you know that they had that requirement or did you on purpose go there because of that? How did that yeah, work out? Well, you know, it's really funny. I didn't want to go to college at all. I <laughs> I had had enough. Junior high and high school were a rough ride for me. I okay. got bullied mercilessly in junior high because I had... I had surgeries every year. So I would be, I'd have surgery summer vacation. So mm -hmm. I'm showing up at school with stitches still on my face. Wow. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a rough ride, man. And high school, okay. I didn't so much get bullied so much as I just got completely ignored pretty much. And some of that, by that point, it was my own fault because I, I was just pushed people away, but I was so sick of not school, but I was just so sick of humanity at that point. I was burned mm -hmm. out on two-faced people and backstabbers and fake people. And I just thought I can't handle four more years of socializing with my peers and being okay. in a dorm. And, and so I didn't want to go at all. And so, you know, I kind of went to business college for a couple quarters and realized I don't want to be a secretary the rest of my life. I really want to be a writer. It's really what I want to be. Okay. And I wanted to be a writer since I was 10. And, you know, my dad sort of had a hand in it. 
he was like, if you go to Northwestern, I'll pay for it. Cause that's really, it's one of those situations. Like that's really where mom and dad want me to go. And I think that they saw, you know, they tried to raise me in this Christian setting. And by the right. time I was college age, it's not that I had turned my back on any of that stuff, but I was so burned out. I was so bitter. Mm -hmm. I just thought that the world was just an ugly, dark, horrible place full of negative energy. And, and so I think maybe they were kind of secretly hoping that maybe th this school could like <laughs> straighten right. me out a little bit. Yeah. So I did go into it knowing that it was a Bible college, a Christian college, and you had this like 45 credit major, no matter what you, what degree you picked, you had these 45 credits. And, um, I'm really glad in retrospect that I had that four years of sort of guided learning because I don't know, I didn't know as a teenager how to read the Bible. And to tell you the truth, I don't think even most Christians who have walked with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years really even know how to read or interpret the scriptures. Like it sits there, we pick it up every once in a while, we read through it. We, we don't really know what it means. We don't really have the time or the interest really right. or the energy to like research it deeply so mm -hmm. we we go to church on sundays thinking the pastor is going to do all the hard work for us but we really just kind of get rah-rah speeches and a lot of the stuff on sunday mornings is more man-centered more people-centered more make you feel good let's let's make sure all these people in a bad mood go home feeling good yeah and one of the things that i'm kind of excited about in the era that we now live in I think this is such an exciting time to be alive because we have a lot of Christians now who are delving into the supernatural aspects of the scriptures. Right. They're getting into Genesis six and the Nephilim, the origins um, in the book of Enoch, the watchers, the things that are really bringing the scriptures to light. I'm sorry. I got a major frog in my throat right now. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. Um, that's the, you know, my audience, they've heard me sneeze, cough, my dogs bark, my birds chirp, uh, weird things fall, you know, you know, stuff. <laughs> this is like, I'm sorry. This is not a soundproof studio and everybody knows it, oh, but, man. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. So, so and it's I funny. I was just yeah, thinking, ahead. I was thinking, oh, Marlene, this is the first, this is like the first podcast in like 60 episodes I've done where there hasn't been massive amounts of like tech issues. I'm like, yeah, we, we got it. Now I'm like, oh, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, every once in a while things go south. You know, stuff goes like it does just, just yeah, no, every once in a while. Yeah, the oh uh, the gosh. technology supposedly, the advanced technology. Oh gosh, I know. A I backward know. Step. They're like, we're going to shut her up one way or the other. But anyway, I, I feel like we're in this super exciting time because both sides of the table, I think are excited about listening to each other because whether the church realizes it or not, that little black leather bound Bible that's sitting on your coffee table, collecting dust, that is the most supernatural book out there. If you know what, if you know how to read it now, unfortunately, most modern Christians are completely divorced from the culture, the context, the history, the language, and the geography of the original text. And because of that, we don't really, I think a lot of times we miss <clears throat> all of the supernatural <clears throat> aspects of a lot of those stories. Now there's the obvious, like there's the miracles, right? We know that stuff, but there are things right. that go completely unnoticed, um, all sorts of things. Um, you got to think of it in terms of like Joseph, for example, Moses, for example, 
these are guys that basically from boyhood or teenagehood up were raised in the the homes of the pharaohs uh, in in mm -hmm. Egypt and in Babylon. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they were in in the employ of the king of Babylon. Babylon, Egypt, these places were steeped in magic and in divination and in secret knowledge and the knowledge of, we call them secret societies now, but in, in the right. old ancient days, it was like the snake brotherhoods and, you know, the, the, the blood covens and, you know, all of these uh, brotherhoods and things. And so it's not necessarily that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Joseph, and Moses practiced those things in the same way, but you better believe they had knowledge. They, these guys had occult knowledge. They understood. Right. Likewise, the occultists that were practicing all the magic, they had just as much of an awareness of the one true God, the, the Yahweh, you know, the Tetragrammaton, because mm -hmm. they had been passing on stories for hundreds of years of the plagues in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and, and all of these things. And so there was a, an agreement and a knowledge of one another in ancient times that we've lost now. And now we have this, this separation, which I think is just all smoke and mirrors. I think the Christian church absolutely has to understand fundamentally because of everything that they learn about spiritual warfare and the devil and hell. They mm -hmm. have to understand whether they like it or not, whether they want to delve into it or not, whether they want to focus on it or not. They have to acknowledge that the occult and divination and supernatural and paranormal things do exist. Likewise, right. the occult, new age, science, medicine, all these places that pretend, you know, that they don't know about all the biblical stuff, they really do too. And in fact, a lot of the occult is just a mere image. It's just the 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 taking of, of the scriptures and flipping it on its head and stuff. So there's, in many cases, I've met people uh, in the occult that know way more about what's going on in the Bible than people who have sat in a pew for a very long sure. time. And so sure. what I really love about this topic, sleep paralysis, is it facilitates an opportunity for everyone on all sides to have a conversation about the same thing. And right. I think that, you know, someone might not ultimately want to believe in Jesus Christ or buy a Bible or go to church, but there right. are things in that realm of knowledge that would be very enlightening to them. Likewise, a, a Christian might not want to delve into anything new age or occult, but there is so much information in there that they're not getting in, in church that, that will bring just more facets to the diamond. You know, we, we're holding this diamond right. and most of us spend our whole lives looking at one facet. And so we see this one dimensional flat plane of beautiful glass. And if, if we only spun it around in every direction and realized it was this massive gem. And I'm not saying, um, hey, every religion should unite into one. I'm not saying that we all adopt and believe everything. But what I'm saying is we have right. to acknowledge that we're never going to put the pieces together and understand anything if we don't have all of, of the facets. And even Lovecraft, I think, alluded to this in the first paragraph of his Cthulhu story. It, it's brilliantly written where he says that Basically, in layman's terms, he's saying the only reason mankind hasn't gone insane is because all of the sciences and religions that were once 
all one body of knowledge. They've strained out now into opposite directions and they're now light years apart and no one connects any of this information together anymore. Now, even in the way right. we learn, even the way we learn in school, we have different subjects. In this class, we learn math. In this class, we learn history. If you go all the way back in time to the beginning, all of this knowledge was one collective puzzle. And we've split up all the pieces and we've sprayed the pieces out light years apart so no one connects them anymore. And what Lovecraft says is that once we start to go in reverse and we start taking all of these various studies and sciences and we start pulling them back together to the center and connecting all the dots, one of two things are going to happen. In one case, people are going to go mad. They're going to go insane. Right. And for the people who are able to sort of disassociate from the reality of it, they will continue forward and live in the new dark age. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that piece of alleged fiction. Well, this is the thing, you know, uh, whether, you know, any of Lovecraft's, whether it's the direct Cthulhu story or part of the mythos, you know, of all the other what he called the ancient ones. Yes. Um you know, is if if you read even some of his other stories, he always spoke of them as in uh, that the earth or was much older. In other yes. words, that that's where these ancient ones. And now we're finding out. I mean, he wrote this what a hundred years ago, more or less. Some of his yeah. stories. Yeah. Now, archaeology and anthropology are finding evidence that yes, that a lot of structures and bones and uh, sites are much older than they ever anticipated, you know, when they say, well, this is the Bronze Age and this is the This Age. And they're finding that civilizations are going much further back than what yeah. they wanted, you know, the academics <laughs> said the for, narrative. you know, about 100 years. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and here's, you know, here's, he's writing about, like you said, this fictional pantheon of gods, you know, uh, from this, you know, universe, Cthulhu and all of that, that yeah. it was like, that's exactly what we were saying, of course, woven into a fictional story, but yeah. It, it, and one thing, one of the things that I wanted to point out, because a lot of people think that uh, Lovecraft, yeah, he was strange, but one of the things <laughs> that Lovecraft always did was he pointed out that he never, um, he always made them that they were the enemies of mankind. It wasn't like he loved the Cthulhu's and the, right. you know, Ithaqua, really. He never... So, you know, he always made them the villains. How's this anti-humanity? Yes. All right. Yes. And in most of his stories, even his followers or supporters in the end got punished <laughs> by the, by the, these gods themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he had a very weird way of looking at it, but yeah, it, it makes you think, you know, what was he, you know, where was he, that source, you know, that subconscious source where he was getting part of that information from that he channeled it, if you want to look at it that way. Well, he absolutely, he absolutely did, Marlene. And I, in fact, I talk a lot about Lovecraft in my book because there okay. is, there's a great tie into, to his, his body of work. There's a lot of arcane knowledge in mm -hmm. that, that fictionalized story. And, um, you know, he talked a lot about his dream renderings and he talked about in some of the trauma in his youth that led to these uh, out of body and astral projection. And there's there's even uh, biographers of Lovecraft who talk about the the dream worlds of Lovecraft and how he said that mm -hmm. a lot of his storylines came from these dream worlds, which we would call lucid dreaming and right. uh, sleep paralysis in in many cases for people 
is just the precursor to lucid dreaming out of body and astral experiences. And Lovecraft was one of many who sort of unabashedly talked about his, his, uh, inspiration coming from there. And so a lot of the, the people that have most significantly influenced our current culture from the 18th and 19th century that still exists today in the fields of medicine and psychiatry and uh, literature, art, film. I mean, you look at Robert Monroe, H.P. Lovecraft, Frank Baum, uh, Alice Bailey, Helena Blavatsky, mm -hmm. they all talked about astral projection and ascended masters and automatic writing. And they greatly influenced our culture. But as we see from their own admission, they were receiving this information right. from elsewhere. And that goes all the way back to the book of Enoch, where the watchers came down and right. Azazel gave the, 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 the worthless mysteries of heaven is, is to what Enoch calls it. They were sharing all of, of these arcane secrets of heaven. Unfortunately, they, they were the worthless ones. They, they didn't hang around in heaven long enough to get all of the you know, they, they kind of were right, right. high school dropouts, so to speak. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, it's true. Like you said, you know, when Blavatsky, you know, these were all the mystery schools that supposedly their knowledge was supposed to be hundreds of years old. Yes. Uh, this was also when there was a rise of spiritualism. But at the same time, yeah, they had followers, but a lot of the things were also dismissed as in, you know, forget it. You know, they don't know what they're talking. And of course, this was also the advent, like you mm -hmm. said, of the, the, the science, you know, you wanted to be scientific. And unfortunately, a lot of times it was an either or, either you were in the science camp or you were in the non-science camp, you know, and if you were in the yeah. non-science camp, that meant you were superstitious, you were ignorant, uh, that kind of, you know, you believed in things like, you know, oh, magic. Yeah. So it, there, there are those two things didn't overlap and in truth they can, but of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's an obscure little verse in the New Testament where Jesus said, a prophet is never received in his hometown. And, you know, basically meaning, hey, we know yes. you. You're, you think you're a prophet? Like, dude, I went to kindergarten with you. Who do you, you know? So, um, right. but I think you could extend that, that to say that no prophet is, is received in their own era either. And I think a lot of times yeah. these things that are put out into the, into the the collective conscience, a lot of times these things are ahead of the times. They're not to sure. be received in the era in which they were put out. It's It sometimes comes 50 years, 75, 100 years later. And this falls under the whole philosophical yes. realm of the Overton window. They, they know a lot of times that what they're putting out there will be utterly rejected. But over the course of generations, you know, what we reject, our children and our grandchildren will find cool. And so they know that as long as it gets out there, it will start to, you know, become familiar. We become desensitized to what You're was right. maybe once horrible. And I mean, we see that in our current culture today. There are things going on now that if if it was going on in the 1950s, there's no way it would be received. So it's just a no. it's a psychological uh, phenomenon, which is just another thing that I like to point out about these spiritual beings that we encounter. They are just absolute geniuses when it comes to to toying with the the mind the will and the emotions of mankind it, it's sort of like taking candy from a, a baby in many cases because you know they can they can manipulate our emotions they can make us feel good and 
They can make us feel peace and love and pleasure. They can make sure. us feel enlightened. They can give us secret knowledge. And so these are all things that we as human beings who like to give the benefit of the doubt are like anyone that would give me all these gifts as my friend. And a lot sure. of times they're not. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. It's called seduction. Yes. Hello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the everybody wooing. thinks yeah, every seduction is not everybody thinks of seduction as in within a romantic context, yeah. like you know, romance, love, whatever. No, yeah. people can be seduced by different things in different ways. Yeah. Depending also on what your weakness is. Everybody's got, you know, that different weakness. Yes, um, absolutely. And like you said, and they know what your weakness is. Let me ask you: When you wrote this book, the the this the, the the that they only come out at night, which has to do with the weapon of sleep paralysis. Yes. How did you did did you have sleep paralysis, or how did you decide to write that book? I did. I I've had sleep paralysis since I was well. My first memory of it, my my solid first memory of it, I was four years old, but I think it okay. was happening before then because I do have an incident in my mind at another house where I was younger, where I was telling my mom I was afraid of the dark. And so I sort of wonder if it was happening before that, but it, it started when I was about four and, okay. you know, it, it, I always tell people there's people that have more like impressive stories than mine. You know, I, I didn't have any of this being like dragged out of my bed and knocked into walls and raped and all this, you know, gory stuff. But yeah, no, there's people that have had like really like very, uh, yeah, significant, horrible, horrible sleep paralysis episodes. Yes. It, it, it can get very aggressive, very violent, very, um, um, sexual. Um, for me, it was the, the trauma in it was the frequency it just was night after night after night, really? some, sometimes for weeks, then it would kind of go away and then it would come back, but it didn't come back on any sort of cyclical, you know, calendar. It was, you never really knew. And so you were always going to bed kind of on guard and mm -hmm. never really knowing. And, you know, because of that, I kind of became this night owl. And to this day, I just, I'm up to like two, three in the morning. I'm on this, like the worst circadian rhythm you can imagine. <laughs> Sure. But um, people, yeah, it, it, it makes you hypervigilant, which is yes. a tough thing. Yeah. So sometimes you wake up just exhausted, you know? Yeah, um, but I'm sure yeah. you don't go down into REM sleep. How's that? A lot of times oh. you probably don't go into REM sleep because yeah, you don't. So, but so it's interesting. And, you know, uh, here are some of the things and I'm talking about people who've been targeted from day one, like who, who they've been okay. hounded their whole lives. Like, cause I yes. know there's some people that, Oh, that happened to me once. And I'm talking about the mm -hmm. people where this is like, uh, they've, they've had it enough times where they're kind of trying to figure it out. And why am I a target? And is there things I'm doing that's triggering this, the people that have really, you know, had to sort of live with it. The things that I find in common, and so this is okay. kind of like my bullet point list. And so it doesn't mean that you have to have everything on this list, but uh, typically the profile for the people that have it their whole entire life, the things okay. that I'm noticing that when I talk to people, they often had some sort of childhood trauma early in life. And it could have been sexual abuse. Yes. It could have been given up for adoption. It could have been seeing a parent die or like losing a yes. parent, seeing a parent murdered. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it could also be like, in my case, um, the trauma was I had surgeries from 10 days old until I was like 15 or 16. So I had dozens oh. and dozens of surgeries left alone in the hospital for, you know, quite a while. Cause yeah. like we only had one car and my dad traveled for a living. And so there was a lot of, 
a lot of times when the nurses would come in, you know, with the needles and stuff, like mom's not there to protect you. And when you're a little kid, you oh, don't, no, that's you don't understand, like your brain doesn't differentiate. Hey, every time mom leaves, a stranger comes in yeah. and pokes me in the arm. Like you don't, you don't. Well, the, the thing that. is this, that people, people think of trauma as just being physical trauma. Yes. But there's such a thing as emotional trauma. Yes. All right. Yes. Psychological. Which is just as damaging. Yeah. The emotional, psychological is not physical, you know. Yeah, but that that emotional that especially like you said as a child, it's very difficult to logic that. It is, uh, it is, and it's detrimental to the developing brain. Yes. It there's things that get locked into your head, and believe me, I'm aware of them now. I'm 50 years old, and I'm aware of mm -hmm. what these triggers are and this and that. And there's just a point where some of this stuff just is so embedded into mm -hmm. your personality now that even you can logicize with yourself like Vic this does not make any sense why you 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 can trust this person like settle down and <laughs> it's just right, like right Ooh. but yes. um so a but, lot of people will say trauma I also mm -hmm. noticed that a lot of people um that have this over the course of their whole life and have trouble shaking it they're usually empaths uh, okay. very empathetic to feeling other people's pain and sorrow to the point mm -hmm. where a lot of people, a lot of people think that people who've been through trauma isolate themselves because I've been hurt by the world and I don't want to be hurt again. Yes. And that there's truth to that. But what I think a lot of people don't talk about is a lot of people who've been through a lot of trauma who isolate themselves. It's not simply because they dislike people or they don't trust people. It's also because when you go out into a crowd, like if you go to a mall or some, you know, ballpark or some busy place, you come home absolutely emotionally drained. Absolutely. Yep. And I thought my most of my life, well, this is because I'm an introvert and I fill up when I'm alone. And and I just thought it was introvert. <laughs> and it's and it's so toxic to go among all these people. Holy it, crap. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah. I'm coming to find out that when when you've been through deep deep trauma, you have a lot of empathy and you can mm -hmm. pick up very easily on other people's pain, even if they're not sharing it with you, even yes. if it doesn't show on their face. And so when you go out into the world, which is filled with hurting, broken people, you sort of, without realizing mm -hmm. it, kind of come home with a lot of that on your shoulders. And sure. and so I think that, you know, a lot of these people that are, are going through this, they've got the trauma, they've got the empathy. They've also, a lot of them are very creative. They're artists. Mm -hmm. They are writers. They, they're deep thinkers. They're very connected to their own thoughts and emotions. They're very introspective and um in creative and so i find that these three things are are sort of the profile for the 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 targets of the long term sleep paralysis and, and i think that you know they're looking for the next helena blavatsky they're looking for the next hp lovecraft they're looking for the yeah. next person where they can feed off of this person's creative energies and this person's gifts and these person's abilities to craft them uh, as their, as their own spokesperson or, you know, to kind of make them their thrall, so to speak. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think what's so sad about a lot of these people that get caught in this web, because it's very euphoric, you know, you go up to the astral realm and your dopamine is just shooting off all over the place because mm -hmm. you feel powerful and they're telling you, you're going to be like a God and you, you're going to have these powers and we're giving you yeah. all this knowledge. So you, you have this uh, euphoric sort of 
feeling that you get almost addicted to. But what what's really going on in many cases is you're just a thrall for these. Yeah. These entities can no longer come down to earth and interact because they did that on Mount Hermon. They came down, they interacted with human beings. They were punished. They were thrown in the abyss. So now they've got to get us up there. So then it's very, it's very clever. If you come up here by your own free will, I can't get punished for coming down and destroying humanity again, you know? So they're, they're kind of trying to put the onus on us. Well, Hey, you came up here, you asked, you know? Right. And, and, and people, and I want to point out that sometimes people don't understand, you know, how that thing about the vampire that you got to invite them in. Yes. This is the same thing. You going there is equivalent to an invitation. Like you oh. said, Hey, you came up here. So I guess we're, we're buds, right? We're oh, good, man. right? You have and hit the way it works. You've hit the nail so hard on the head that the nail has exploded because my entire chapter four in the book, it's called uh, something like uh, Threshold Covenants and Astral Vampires. And that's the whole mm -hmm. point of this chapter that our modern concept of a vampire, again, it looks all fictional, but there's so right. much arcane knowledge in there. Like we, we don't really think, we just think in terms of like, shadow people and old hags and right. alien greys and things but if you go back into antiquity these things had names these were like the the screech owl like it says in isaiah it's the yeah. lilith the lamia the lamash the lilu um these were nocturnal incubus succubus seductive mm -hmm. and <gasps> what's what's interesting is uh you do they do have to be given permission and they do have to have an invitation. And this is the law of the entire spiritual realm, not just the astral, mm -hmm. not just the evil. Um, yeah. In in Revelation 3.20, Jesus Christ says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with them and they with me. And so even Jesus Christ is waiting for that invitation. He's not going to barge in because we learn right. in John 10 that if someone barges in through your front door, through your front gate, the sheep pen, if someone barges in, they're a thief. They're a, they're a robber. Right. Exactly. They're. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, just, just something that that's how can I say it? It's in a metaphysical level. If you want to look at it. Yes. Where it's the agreement. It's the agreement. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Yes. And you'll notice even like I always tell people, hey, here's a fun thing to do on a Saturday. Do a Google image and type in shadow man um, and oh. it'll it'll pick up all these. You'll you'll get all these pictures, which obviously are mostly all drawings and artist renditions and paintings and mm -hmm. things. Fifty percent or more. And I'm, I'm being really generous there because it's a lot more than 50 percent. For some reason, most artists who want to draw the shadow man have him standing by a bedroom door. All the, you know, the time. Yeah. So or at the foot of the bed. Somewhere yeah. in the, that vicinity, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. and and what happens here is, this is this goes back to the threshold covenant. Uh, this goes back to, they cannot, the vampire, they cannot cross the threshold without permission. But here's where it gets tricky. A lot of people are like, well, I never, I never said come in. But there are other ways of giving yeah. invitation to these because they're tricksters, they're seductrists. We know going yes. all the way back to, to the garden, the serpent didn't fairly win that scuffle. He tricked them. He had yes, to, exactly. he, he tricked them. 
And so the spirit realm, highly legalistic group of creatures, they know yes. a whole bunch of things that have fallen out of our knowledge. And so yes. they know how to easily lure us into giving them an invitation. And so they have all sorts of clever, clever tricks. Sometimes they don't come as a scary shadow being or a red glowing eyed hat man. Sometimes mm -hmm. they come as grandma or your mom who died or yeah. your son who died. And so you're come in and how, you know, you're, you're easily welcoming them in because they put that flesh yes. suit on and uh, our fear or and not just our fear, very strong emotion, whether it's yes. fear anger or an eroticism that is a magnet to yes. these things and so um i always tell people when when it's there's 365 verses in scripture that tell us not to fear don't be afraid and i always tell people this isn't just like god being like a cosmic therapist like no oh, don't worry about it don't worry be happy right <laughs> this is him giving us the a major key to keeping spiritual doors locked from being attacked mm -hmm. or having demonic attachments because fear is often the invitation. Yes. That's what draws them. And we see this all over. And I couldn't believe it. I just watched the, the Netflix children's movie Slumberland, which is... I, have that look. I, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen it. To be honest with you, I don't subscribe to, to Netflix for my own reasons. Yeah. Uh, more protest than ever. But I, I was uh, reading an article about Slumberland. Yes. Just today. Well, but anyway, go ahead. They, oh my gosh, like they, they give everything away. They've got all the doors in there, all the doors that they're willingly walking through. You've got the, the, the nightmare um, in there and the nightmare is attracted to fear. So you have to overcome your fear. You have to control your right. fear. And I could go off on a massively nerdy. A lot tangent. of symbology. Then a lot total, of total symbology. The the nightmare in Slumberland is they call it the big black squid, but it really looks more like the mind flayer from season one of Stranger Things. It's this sort of like okay. black tentacle. But if you go into the actual, the actual definition of a mind flayer, it's not like a spider or a squid. The actual mind flayer is a humanoid creature with an elongated squid or octopus head. So we're back to Cthulhu and we're back to nautical. I was going to say Thin Man. Because every time I see yeah. something like that, I think of the Cthulhu. Whether yeah. it's the, the up and up or, or version of like the octopus squid, like you said, yep. even spiderish kind of yep. feel. Yep. I'm sure it's if you ever saw that movie Hellboy the right the, right hellboy arrival they're they're a little octopus the aliens are octopus right, creatures yes. um there's uh -huh. an there's a cthulhu looking guy in yeah what's that what's that cartoon it's not the it's not the simpsons one but if uh, futurama there's the yes. the guy with like the squid head so those anytime you see a squid head alien or a cthulhu like that is the mind flayer and this is right. someone who controls the mind and you know it's interesting the the mythology of the mind flayer is that they eat human brains uh right. but m metaphorically metaphorically if yeah. you are being transported against your will night after night into the astral realm yes. and you are being indoctrinated in their theosophical arcane knowledge and religions and you are being primed to be a spokesperson or a teacher of this knowledge to bring back to earth. The, the fact is they have just ate your brain. 
they have taken over your mind. You no longer yes. are a free thinker. And in fact, all of the the mind flayers that they're from the illithid class, that's what they're called in, in the in the fandom lords. The illithids, these these squid head humanoids, they um always have one or two thralls or slaves. Okay. So they have two human beings that are kind of mind controlled mm -hmm. that do all their bidding for them. And so uh, when you know this arcane knowledge, then it's a whole different perspective. So in, in, you don't listen to their lies when you're up there and they say, you're chosen. We brought you up here yeah. because you have special powers and you're special. You're like, no, you are training to me need to be a thrall you're an illithid you're a mind right, because they're not they're not about to admit that say <laughs> i have really no power on in your dimension yes your plane yeah i don't i don't okay yeah i need you to do what <laughs> i can't do yes all right but they're not and, about to admit that because you'd be right. like oh so you can't <laughs> wait a minute you can't operate here. Oh, <laughs> I know, wait a right, minute. Right. You're not such a great deity after you. Know, whatever. That, that, it, it, it. But people, uh, which sometimes I think attest to not only what you said, which is an attachment, or in some cases yes. an obsession or possession or whatever. Yeah. You know, or those people that have that momentary break with a Yes. You know, that do things that, and, and it's really weird because sometimes, I'm not going to say all the time. They will, and sometimes it's just a good defense, but sometimes they will say, I cannot remember what I did. Like, yes, the last couple of hours, three, four, whatever it long, they can't, they can't remember. Yes. 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 And, um, it, it's, it's like, yeah, it's basically yeah. like you said, they're, they need you or they need that person. In other words, yes, exactly. Like that role, like you exactly. said, to do, to do on this plane. And, and they operate through flattery. And, you know, oh, like, yeah. like you were saying earlier, they know our weaknesses and our yeah. desires, and they're more than willing to portend as though they are going to fulfill those things for you. They'll yes. use you as long as they need you. And, you know, yes. eventually once, once they have gotten from you what they need, you'll, you'll be expendable. But, um, you know, then there's the people that say, well, what about these people that are into this for like 20, 30, 40 years? And it's like, because if they're the thrall, like if, if they're the thrall, yeah. then they're going to be they're not going to be expended because they are, you know, doing the bidding of this thing that needs a slave, you know? And so for some people, uh, they can, they can carry on in this, this lifestyle for decades and not yeah. ever, uh, find their way out of the labyrinth that to understand that they're being used as dupes and. Well, or we could go down and I'm going to do a little segue here. I'm sure, sure you've seen this big, Thing with Balenciaga and the BDSM, mm -hmm. yes. Okay, bondage, yep. SNM. Who's the yes. master? Who's the slave? Yes. Some people difficult as people, and and some level subconsciously or whatever, if they feel yes. their soul being the slave. Yes. You just say, who would willingly submit to this? <sighs> yeah. It's because there's something that's being fed in your soul to be the slave. Yeah. And sometimes, like you were saying, how sometimes we see things uh, in front of us. Yeah. And there's a deeper meaning behind it. Yeah. You know, some people could look at this latest scandal with Balian Saga and the children and the BDSM and all the, you know, the symbol, you know, like, hello, it's not even symbol. It's right there in your face. Yes. But perhaps there is a deeper meaning behind that, as in whoever 
thought of this, promotes this, what 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 is their soul talking about? Because that yeah. doesn't come from your head. It you right. think it would it comes from the person's soul. Yeah. Yeah. When they come up with those that that imagery, how's that? Yeah. Yep. And uh like what you were saying, who you know, who would want to because if you think if you ask somebody logically to be a slave, they'd be like, hell no, I would never want to do that. Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And not only physically, we're talking here mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Spiritually, yes. Profound. That is most profound. people would say no. Yeah. And it's, it speaks it speaks to a wider audience. Yeah. Uh, but keep going because this is so, so interesting uh, that, as far as what you were talking about. That is profound, Marlene. And that makes so much sense to me because I, you know, I come at it from my own head, like, you know, I don't want to be some you know, entities thrall, but you're so right. Like to some people, it's a turn on to them to be on the bottom, you know? And so yes, um, yes. what what's interesting to me about that is it it really brings to my mind, there, there's a lot of metaphorical imagery in the Old and New Testament about slavery as well. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the Israelites, well, I suppose they were the Hebrews at the time, the Hebrews that were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, they were in bondage. And when they were brought out into the wilderness, the metaphorical jargon, as they were coming into freedom and as they were, you know, had the Torah revealed to them and whatever, it God, God wasn't telling them, okay, you're no longer slaves. What he was saying to them was, you're no longer in bondage to a taskmaster who's going to beat you and and destroy your livelihood and make you feel like you're in prison you're now in bondage to a taskmaster who loves you and is going to protect you and take care of you but they're basically they're still in a sense in a slave relationship and paul even talks in this language uh it they they take it out of the modern context because we wouldn't we wouldn't stand for it but paul always calls himself a servant of christ in some translations, you get a little bit more to what that word really means. It says that he's a bond servant to Christ. Right. If you go to the Greek, the doulos, the word actually means slave. And in some of the older right. translations, it does say, I'm a slave to Christ. And now there's so many you know, modern mm -hmm. American connotations to that. Let's leave that out. But what, what's interesting to me about what you just said is, yes, the goal, the ultimate goal for our souls isn't to wriggle free and make sure that we are not a slave to anyone or anything. We're our own God. You know, right. that, that actually gets us into trouble as well. And, mm -hmm. and we see that in the Ascension doctrine and we see that in the Christ consciousness and theosis is what they called it, you know, in previous centuries and in Eastern religions and things. The, the deal is that ultimately we can become our own God and, and, and so it's almost like we are, our flesh always believes that we've really, freedom means we have our own autonomy. We answer to no one. But what, where the truth really is, is that you've got two options. You can be a slave to this kingdom, or you can be a slave to this kingdom. And which kingdom do you ultimately want to be a servant, right? Well, the, it it depends. I'm gonna and I'm gonna tell you briefly what I think. Sure. When somebody says they're a slave, they're mm -hmm. abdicating responsibility for their actions. Mm. Okay. You're you're your slave. Hey, 
I, you know, that thing I followed orders. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of thing. True. Yeah. Whereas non-slavery means yes, you're free, but you're responsible for yourself for your Absolutely. actions. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's why it's so easy sometimes to fall into that role of servitude, whatever it is. Yes. Okay. I hear because what you're saying. You can back out and say, hey, hey, you know, okay, you're going to even even protect me, whatever. A lot of people make that deal with the devil kind of thing. Oh, yeah. In exchange for, because the the other side of that is no one to tell you, but you are responsible. Yeah. The yeah. good and the bad. Yes. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing. Personally, if... If I stood before God, he, he, you know, I don't come to you out of fear of punishment or expecting rewards. You understand? Because yeah. really, that's really what counts is like that you come out of your own free will. Yeah. Good and bad, you know, because I think that that's 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 kind of the neat thing about being a human being on this plane. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the truth is that 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 servitude role, like you were saying it, the the wording that they use. Uh, it, maybe it, it sounds pious if you want to yeah. look at it, because yeah. if you're saying I'm the servant or the slave of the God of Jesus of whatever, that sounds very pious, but in, it infers other things as well, which is self-responsibility. But anyway, yeah. that's, I, let me get off my, <laughs> no, I love no, that I, Marlene. I, I love that Marlene, because I, I certainly agree with you that, um, we can come up with whatever philosophy or worldview or religion that we want. And we can say things like, well, I was absolutely born this way, or, well, there is no God. And what's really behind a lot of these mantras is if what I just said is true, then I'm not responsible for any of the decisions I make. You can't hold me accountable. If, if I was born this way, you can't hold me accountable. And if there is no God, then you can't hold me accountable. And, and I do agree with that. And the good news about the gospel of the kingdom is when, when you take on that role as servant, as you get deeper into what the gospel message really is, what happens, and we see this in the Semitic culture, you know, when it talked about slavery in the Old Testament, it wasn't talking about the American uh, version. Right. What, what they would do is they would, they would, take on their own people as servants as a way of paying back debts and then they would earn their freedom back and it was a different right. sort of a thing and what could happen in in the semitic culture of of servitude if you are a good servant when your debt was paid and your time was up right you you could be adopted by the head of the household as a full-blooded heir of the house and be sure. in the will and everything. And that is the servitude that Paul and the, the gospel is talking about. It's the, it's not American slavery. It's this Semitic slavery where uh -huh. well done, good and faithful servant. And that, you know, that's, that's the line that the believers get on judgment day in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into joy today. And what that means is this is the moment of your, um, your, your freedom from slavery and I'm adopting you as a full blooded son and you're receiving all of the inheritance. Right. Because back then it was, and you know, and I'm sure you've heard that even though during colonial periods, well, it wasn't only in the United States, I want to say all over the world, there was what they called indentured servants. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yes, some, some people it was, uh, they were basically indentured because of, you know, you committed a crime 
And instead of, you know, imprisoning you, we're going to send you off and let you perish in the wilderness. But some people actually indentured themselves as a way to get out, let's say, to the United States back then to the colonies. You didn't have money. You had no way. And you you basically signed an agreement for X amount of years. But this was done willingly. Yeah. Okay. Because maybe where you were coming from, whatever circumstances, uh, and sometimes, sometimes those agreements worked out well, sometimes not so well, but there was times where people, and like you said, sometimes the, even the indentured servant stayed on with that family. Yes. All right. And became part of the family or even prospered once they're, they're certain they, they were done, you know, with the, the agreement with whether it was five years or seven years, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Uh, it's not always a question of uh, being done like against your will. Yes. But yeah. 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 And this kind of goes all the way back to earlier when I was talking about how when we lose sight of the culture, the context, the language, the history, you know, the geography of a text. And this is a good example, um, the language, the linguistics, the etymology. If we have, you know, when we when we hear the word slave, that is a loaded term for an American. And that Mm -hmm. is something that we really want distance from. But obviously when they were writing about this 2000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, um, Moses, Paul, they had no concept of our American 21st century definition of, of that. So this is where it gets really complicated and where things can get pulled out of context. And quite frankly, where, God and Jesus can look like real jerks because it looks like they're advocating these things. And yeah. they, of course, mm-hmm. absolutely were not. But um, so l- lest the listeners think, Marlene, that we're way off track of, of sleep paralysis. Yeah, <laughs> but, like- you, know, you know, we really are not because no. what, what I talk about in the book is that the, the dark weapon of sleep paralysis is really everything we've been talking about. It is a flaying of the mind. It Mm -hmm. is a trying to dupe us into not remembering who we really are. This comes, this comes across very strongly in um, the Slumberland movie as well. Flip her little, you know, spirit guide who, you know, well, I don't want to spoil it for people to see it. He, he keeps saying that he's been stuck in dreamland for so long. He can't remember who he is. He can't wake up until he remembers who he is. And uh, that really is, a mind fling it he has forgotten his own name his own individuality and we see hints of this even in lord of the rings where when um frodo calls gollum smeagol and he mm-hmm. is overwhelmed at the remembrance of his name right. because that was his identity that was his core that was who he really was that was who right. he was meant to be and there is a point where when we keep going up into the astral realm and we keep messing with these things and we keep being you know if you've got beings in in the spirit realm telling you who you are you're a chosen one you're special you're you know this or that we lose we truly do lose touch with our identity and if you get into the realms now of like singularity or the transhuman movement and all this stuff Mm -hmm. they really are it's not just some metaphorical like oh Oh, we lose touch with who we are they literally want us to morph into the image of the false god not you know we're right now we were created in the image of god and they want that changed and part of this whole astral endeavor is to get us to willingly and joyfully deny 
whose image we bear right. and take on their image instead. Sure. And what, what, what they're asking is for us to sacrifice our humanity, yes. which is what makes us unique. It they is what are. makes us unique. It and, is. And it's so funny because I'm sure you've seen that show from uh, from um, Star Trek, Jean-Luc Picard with the Borg. I mean, it's become yes. like a oh, classic. Gosh. Oh, yes, the Borg. When that came out, it was strictly sci-fi. It was like, yeah. what a great show. What a great episode, the Borg. And yeah. now it's like, yes, who, hey, who channeled that? Who was, yes. the, who was the writer of that episode? Right. Okay. Who was foreseeing, you know, maybe not channeling or maybe... That eventually, this is that's the that's you know you know that saying all roads uh, all roads lead to Rome. Well, this is yeah. this is where this road will lead to that you described where yeah. they want us to be. Where um, because let's face it, our humanity is what want, makes us want to be individuals yeah. and not have anybody read our thoughts. Yeah, I know, or right? Our emotions. It's like no, hey, kidding. you know. And as an introvert, <laughs> yes. you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. So, can you imagine that you would be so connected at all times 24 7 whether you were physically apart but really what counts is up here that you would be connected and somebody could monitor your feelings yes your thoughts yes uh your actions yeah that's a nightmare let me tell you to me that would be like like hell that right there is horrible and and they don't want to just passively sit back and eavesdrop they want to interact and influence Our, our actions as well. And it's it's so great that you mentioned the Borg, the hive mind, because that mm-hmm. the Borg is the hive mind. So yes. guess what? Guess what? The mind flayers, the illithids, their god, their ruler is called the elder brain. And Jeez. every time an illithid, oh. every time an illithid dies, a mind flayer dies, they their brain is fed to the elder brain. So the elder brain is the collective brain of every illithid or every mind flayer that passed on that died. So it's this hive mind, literally, mm-hmm. it's a huge brain that feeds off of the brains of its, its, its dead, you know, and, and this is the guy that rules um, the, the whole illithid kingdom. And so there's so much being given away, even in our fandoms and metaverse stuff and in the comic mm-hmm. books. And um, they are giving away so much stuff that just seems like fun, innocent entertainment. Right. Yeah. Entertainment. And it's like, no, they are priming us to receive eventually in some generation when they they launch this all on us. We're going to mm-hmm. be prepped and ready for it because. Yeah. What was really scary to us at one point is going to be cool to us. I mean, I don't know if you remember this. When I was a kid, I saw the original like Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie. Yes. I was probably yes. wasn't the original, but it was the one put out in the 70s. Right. And I remember in the backseat of the car driving home, I mean, because I was young. And I remember in my own little head thinking that was so scary of a thought i'm so right. glad it was just a movie and now it's like right. oh no right well like, it's, it's, uh, not even scary. Uh, it's not even scary anymore you watch that and you're like yeah that's happening <laughs> you know what the other day as a matter of fact a couple of days ago you know the the original robocop they yeah. made uh they they, re- they did a, a remake like in 2014 i had never seen it and okay. i saw it the other day and it was the same premise but if you look at it basically the premise is you know he yeah, he's human, but not really. 
because they can turn him on and off and he's connected to that machine. Yeah. All right. Basically he's hooked up in such a way that if they want to, they turn a switch yeah. and he just falls down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I was looking at that and I was like, you know what? I didn't see it that way when I saw the original RoboCop back in the eighties. It was I a great sci-fi story. I know. Uh, but I looked at that and it's like, when you see, like, what is it? When you have the eyes to see, yes. it's like, man, wow. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I know it's a remake, but basically because, you know, you see that push towards the, what you, you want to call it? The, the melding of robotics with yes. humans. Transhuman. Yeah. Transhumanism. Okay. How can I say it? I, I understand the advantages of it. Let's say for somebody that let's say you've seen people that have lost their limbs. Sure. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's di- but that's different. That's different. That is, we're not talking about robotics. We're talking about. We're, not ta- we're talking, well, you know, prosthetics, but yes. even, you know, I, I, I'm not against that. No. But when you start talking about they're trying to do something with your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Then that, that yep. becomes, that that's becomes, and my concern is sometimes, and I'm sure you've heard it, that a lot of these things are introduced as we want to help. We want to yes. help these uh, people yep. uh, that have these illnesses or have suffered these horrible accidents. Yeah. That's how they introduce it. And so of yeah. course everybody's, yeah, sure. Yeah. But then it's like, almost like that invitation you said, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what comes after that is I think that, like you said, and, um, Unfortunately, I think in our times where we have this uh, instant gratification kind of programming, yeah. that it's hard for us to conceive that plans can be made 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years into the future yes. as far as for results. Yes. Yeah. You know, we we kind of don't get it. Huh? No, uh, we, I, you know, we don't. And when you're dealing with immortal entities, you know, they've got all the time in the world. And especially if they're living outside time, I, you know, I don't know dimensionally if if I don't, I don't know that the astral realm is bound to time. I don't think it is, but regardless, Mm -hmm. these people aren't looking at it like, Oh crap, this is going to take 50 years for this to take root. They, they, you know, they got all the time in the world and you know, they've got patience. They're not human. They, they're not thinking the way we do. Do you, do you see them? Because I've, Heard the theory? Do you what? Do you think that they are what we would call interdimensional um, ETs? So I think I think that there is many many different uh, forms and 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 beings. I don't think like like this is another kind of downfall. I think of the dumbing down of the biblical education in the church, and that is. Uh, you know, many Christians, when they sense or feel or see or experience anything dark or unusual or paranormal, everything's a demon. It's a demon. It's a demon. Oh, God. Yes, I know. And and it's like, okay, you know, theologically, a demon is one very specific class of being. And Mm -hmm. and so every single thing, I mean, we even see in Ephesians 6.12, the four different types of beings are mentioned in Ephesians 6.12, and demons aren't even mentioned. There's rulers, authorities, and then spiritual forces of wickedness. And there's another one that I always get mixed up because different translations use the same, you know, different words for archons and rulers, authorities, principalities, right. things like that. And so I do think that um, most of what we see here on earth, like the little paranormal and the ghosty things, I think that, you know, a lot of what we interact with here on earth 
is probably more of a demonic thing because they are these, you know, um, they are somewhat earthbound because they are mm -hmm. half human. They're, they're the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, which were demigods. They were, they had um, angelic fathers and human mothers. So they're bound to earth. So this is okay. their playground. But once you get up into the astral, you're on their turf. So now you're in Ephesians 612 territory. You're in the high places of Ephesians 612. So now you're, you're potentially not only have the rulers, the archons, the authorities, the principalities, but you've also got ascended masters and spirit guides and new agers right. and practitioners of the occult and other human beings who are dabbling in this. And so there's yeah. all sorts of things up there. And um, it it's interesting to me, these alien grays or the, li the little green men, uh, mm -hmm. uh, there are many occasions where these beings show up in a sleep paralysis scenario where yes. people are, are waking up in their bedrooms. But a lot of times we also see them where people are having abductee experiences out in the middle of the cornfield and as they're driving their car down the road. And so this right. is a very unique being because it, 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 I wouldn't classify it with the, with the Lilia, you know, Lilith Lamash to vampiric nocturnal incubus succubus type of creatures, mm -hmm. but it seems that they also somehow can, they also sometimes rather interfere um, or use the sleep paralysis as, as their vehicle. Um, and I, there's people out there who, who, unequivocally say the alien greys are demons and again right i'm not sure about that because uh i'm not sure about that I, and i've heard a lot of theories right right and um you know and the ufo experiences aren't my my main field because i look at there's people out there you know like the la marzulis that I'm like hey there's already an expert out there doing this you know but mm -hmm. but um I've heard people talk about how the greys are kind of like the thralls. They're the, they're the slave class. Yeah. They're there to kind of do the dirty work. They're very low on the totem right. pole. But what's interesting is I actually think that a lot of the beings that we're seeing in sleep paralysis are very low on the totem pole because okay. the, the demons, the incubus, the succubus, anything that is potentially demigod, anything that is okay. potentially half human or part human, anything that shares like in human genetics, uh, I think they are going to rank very low on an angelic or spiritual hierarchy because they're not right. pure blooded. And if you even okay. go back, I reference this in my book, if you go all the way back to um, and like angel dictionaries and stuff that were, were written centuries ago, they rank the incubus and the succubus as the absolute like bottom of the totem pole of all right. angelic beings, you know, because they're, they're just, they're mixed with these filthy human beings and these spiritual beings, which is why I think it's so funny when you read stuff about, Oh, when you go to the astral plane, these angelic beings, they admire us and they're so fascinated with us and they think we're so great. And, and it's like, that couldn't be further from the truth. They actually despise us. And there, there's even, I think it's in the book of Enoch. Enoch is, is brought up into the third heaven and the angels, like the good angels, like not, not fallen angels. The good angels are like, who let this guy in? He stinks. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I love that passage. Yeah. Um, you know, we are like, we're the worms. Like we are, we are like in their estimation, which is why the spirit realm 
is so dead set on attacking us and making us fail and tricking us into these contracts and these soul selling situations because they cannot believe that the inheritance of the kingdom is going to the lowest of the low. Like they, they cannot believe that their inheritance has been passed over and given to the, to the filthy human, <laughs> human race. Well, you know, and I'm sure everybody's let's, let's, let's use Hollywood as an example. So, because everybody kind of gets the idea like that yeah. movie prophecy, the one with, uh, I think that's a great movie by the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, it took such a weird approach to the angel thing. Yeah. Because this was around the time when that movie came out, there was, you know, there was a surge of angelic stuff. Yes. And it was all very pink and, you know, beautiful and the angels. Don't get me wrong. I like that. I have no problem. But it took a totally opposite approach <laughs> as far as the relationship between humans and angels. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Uh, where not everybody was on our side, I guess. Yeah. Well, and even even the good angels there's there's cryptic little uh, hints in the scriptures as to how the good angels think of human beings. And there's things like they marvel at humans because they're able to look into things that they were never able to look into. And like the mystery of the gospel, when Jesus came and started revealing things on earth, he was revealing things to man that the angels didn't even know. And they marveled that we were able to look into things that even they weren't allowed to look into. And, and then there's these references in scripture that we're only a little lower than the angels, which, you know, when I look at all of these people that are striving to be something special, something chosen, and they go to all of these hoops to meditate and, and astral project and, and sell their soul, so to speak, when, According to scripture, we're only a little bit lower than those things to begin with. And once we come into glory in our resurrected body, we will we will be heirs. We'll be more than like we're, we're getting offered more. It's it's one of these age old situations. You can have the world if you just wait for the right timing or you can have everything now, but it'll just it'll elude you. It'll you know, there's even a great line in the movie Inception about this where the Leonardo DiCaprio character is stuck in limbo for 50 years. And he's asked like, Oh, wasn't that wonderful or something to that effect. And he says, Oh, it was wonderful at first being up there, believing yeah. that we were gods. And, um, but he in essence says, but it all fell short because in essence, we knew it wasn't real. And right. there's a lot being given away in that line. When you're in the astral realm, you are treated as a, God, and you're told that you will one day achieve that. And, uh, you know, that that promise was held out to Adam and Eve, and they both died They're, They They did not become gods. And so I'm thinking if the serpent couldn't fulfill that promise the first time, he's probably not willing or able to fulfill it for any of us either. Well, you know, it all depends, again, you know, what feeds your soul. And hmm. um, I guess it's, what is it? It's not what you want. It's what you need. Hmm. Uh, sometimes I think that, um, whether you want to call it temptation or it's, it's kind of like that's, that's, that comes with he being here on this plane. Yeah. Whether you succumb or you resist. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're supposed to do it's a That's part. That's what you're supposed to be doing here. Working it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as, um, 
And you know, you'll get people that say, well, I was tempted. I, yeah. But, and just because you're yeah. tempted doesn't mean you did it. You, know? yeah, you can get right. tempted all you want, but <laughs> you know, eh, that's, that's what comes with it. But um, I think, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to really quickly because I, before it slips away from me, when yeah. you said something about that to these beings, whatever you want to call them, that time does, is not the same as for us. If mm -hmm. time does exist for them. Okay. The only, the only time I would say that they run into a problem is if they have brought in like you, and I'm going to use your word, a thrall. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Which has become very powerful, but let's face it, thrall or not powerful yeah. or not. Yeah. We all die. You're going to die. die. You're going to have to train okay. a new guy in. <laughs> Where they are racing against time. If this person has some type of power, whether it's through their position in a government, yes. through their yes. money, yes. through whatever field where yes. this, they are fighting time. Yes. Okay. To have this person do whatever it is that they want, that, that they can, how can I say, they can either complete or put something in motion. Yes. That they can't do for themselves. That's the only time I would say that they're hindered yes. by having humans to, to do their bidding. Absolutely. Because otherwise, you know, it's like, oh my God, we're going to have to start all over again. Yeah. I know, I know. That's such a great point. Yeah. And I, I think that they're keenly aware of time because there's a very fascinating verse in the New Testament that says that the devil becomes enraged because he knows his time is short. So, um, and the, the devil, you know, if, if he is, you know, Satan, it, it's such a misunderstood concept. Um, uh, Satan is just the Hebrew word for adversary. It's just a common noun. Mm -hmm. It's not a personal name or there's not some guy named Satan. And in fact, um, uh, there are probably many, many, many Hasatans, you know, the adversary. And I think that's another thing too, that, that we really have this, um, kind of Star Wars interpretation of good yeah. and evil where there's one bad guy and one good guy and they they do a sword fight and one of them wins at the end and so we we think like okay right. there's this guy in a red suit and a guy in a with a long beard and they they have a little lightsaber fight at the end and God wins. Yeah. I think it's going to be more like that scene in Indiana Jones where he he turns around with his you know gunner's knife or whatever to fight the one swordsman and then hundreds of other ones show up and he has to do this swashbuckling dance routine to, right. to kill all of them. And I do think that it's going to be a massively unfair fight. I don't think at the end when, when Jesus comes back on the white horse with the flaming sword prepared for battle, he's not coming back as a hippie. He's not coming back with the man bun and the sandals. He's coming back as a warrior. <laughs> he's yeah. coming back right. in full battle gear with a sword strapped to his side. And he's not going to just go and meet some devil guy that looks like Anton LaVey out on the battlefield. And they have a little sword fight. I think he's going to show up on that battlefield and there will be thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, the adversaries, Hasatans there to, to war with him. And, uh, and so I think this whole idea of like Satan is like this one guy. Um, right. So because it's been personified that way as like yeah. you said, that one universal bad guy, the villain. Yes. Yeah. You know, right. whether you want to call it Lucifer Lucifer or the devil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Let me yeah. ask you, do you think that in like Islam that they could they, they describe what they call the jinn? 
Yes. Do you think that it's just the same thing, but with a different name because it's a different culture or we talking yes. different types of beings? I, I think it's the same concept. And one of the really fun parts um, that I researched that's in the book is I kind of go around the world and I show briefly how every culture views sleep paralysis and what they call it and what they think causes it or what they think shuns it away. And um, it's just fascinating. And there uh, there are hundreds of different um, interpretations of this. I mean, we, we, we're all seeing it as the same thing, but we're calling it different things. And I do believe that in the Muslim cultures, they do call it the, the jinn. Um, there's an Asian culture that calls it, um, they call the sleep paralysis experience pressed down by the black, which I thought Whoa. that that one was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, there's all sorts of different cultural interpretations. And, you know, this is one of those like sketchy things that where some people, their logic is, well, if every single culture has a understanding of this, then it must be cultural lore. It must be mythology. It must be. But then there's another school of logic that would be, if this is something that's collective to all of humankind, maybe there's something to it. You know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just sometimes it's a little bit because it goes through the lens of the culture, whatever it is. Yes. Uh, but yes, that, yeah, that, that common denominator is there. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's um, it's it's seen not as something physical, but something on a spiritual level. Yeah, that happens yep. to the person when they experience it. Yep. And if it's a little bit different, you know, we're very different culturally. We're we're we have mm -hmm. different experiences and different belief systems. And I think the way in the past, though it's changing now, the way that these entities have had to deal with Americans over the last fifty years they've had to be somewhat covert because we've been a very stoic sort of um, postmodern, uh, you know, show me, uh, I need proof, believe it, you know, <laughs> scientific right, method. Right. But now yeah. I think that we are opening up more spiritually here and we, we have such an appetite now for the supernatural and the paranormal with our yes. media and everything. So I think that things will become more overt in America as well, but in other countries where they a hundred percent, openly believe in this stuff a lot yeah. of their sleep paralysis experiences are far more overt and mind-blowing uh than they would be here because yeah. they're they're these entities are able to appear in the context that the culture is willing to receive them and right um i'll give you a really quick example in western africa i had a guy write to me shortly after the book got published uh, from western africa and he said in western africa we teach our children to never receive a gift from a stranger. If a stranger right. comes up to you on the street and offers you an apple or a piece of candy. Um, and what this goes back to is um, the child would receive the gift. And then later that same day or within a few days, they would have a nightmare or a sleep paralysis mm -hmm. experience. And uh, a very scary entity would, would reveal itself and say, you owe me for that apple, give it back. And they'd say, well, I can, right. I ate it. And then they'd say, well, then you have to pay me for it. Well, I can, I don't have that money. And so once this child is backed into a corner of terror, thinking right. that he and his whole family are going to be killed if he doesn't pay him back for this apple, then he is offered a very generous compromise. And he's given this wager. Yes. It, I will forgive the debt of this apple. And you're going to love this because you brought it up earlier. I'll forgive the debt if you give me permission to live in your home. 
and now they have access to the entire home. They were given invitation through, again, through trickery and seduction. Right. And and so this kind of stuff happens in in West Africa. That isn't going to happen in the United States of America, you know, because we're not open to that spiritually. No. We're, and so just because a sleep paralysis experience differs from culture to culture doesn't mean that everyone is contradicting one another. It's mm -hmm. that we're, we're all seeing the world through the lenses of our own worldview and traditions and culture and history and language, et cetera. Well, they, they, there's a, and I don't know if you've heard of this tradition, and I'm Hispanic and in, in, in the Caribbean, I want to say the islands and everything, there is where they say that if you hear, let's say someone knock at your door three times mm. when you're not expecting anybody, how's that? Yeah, yeah. But it's the three time knock that you should not open the door. Based along the same lines of what you just described. Yes. You will hear people that will say, well, they open the door and nobody's there. Yes. But what you're, it's just, you're not seeing what's there. Yes. So basically by you answering the knock on the door, you're allowing the spirit to come into the house. Yes. All right. And, and that falls perfectly and in line there. That take, that falls in line with the lore of the black eyed children. Mm -hmm. yes, they come exactly. to the door and they're like, can I use your phone? Can I have a glass right. of water? All they want to do is get over that threshold. Yes. Yes. And that is, uh, and that's why there's, there's a lot of times that they'll say, uh, you know, if you hear that, that three knock and it's, you know, especially if you're not expecting, do not open the door. Do not yes. open the door. Wow. And most people would say, well, you know, but it's like, don't open the door. You know, especially if your ring camera shows there's nobody out inside of your door. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, uh, whoever it was. But uh, yes, and, and this is the thing. Sometimes, you know, you hear a lot of cultures that they have what they call ancestor worship. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. But if you really, not all the time, and I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an expert in that. But a lot of the times this, um, even among the, the Asian, uh, different Asians, that they even when they they because you know recently we went through after Halloween that there was a Day of the Dead and you know yes. All Saints Day and everything yep. Yep. where they even take gives think put things out for ghosts where they call hungry ghosts yep mm -hmm. that don't have a family a lot of that though if you look at it is it's not so much ancestor worship as ancestor appeasement mm. right you yeah. don't appease something unless you fear it. Yes. Okay. Because otherwise you wouldn't have to appease it. Yes. Okay. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, I don't see anything wrong in, in the, in the sense that if, if as a family you don't honor or you don't do certain things for your ancestors or, you know, whether they're recent, you don't yes. do certain things, they're going to yes. get mad at you. Okay. Mm, that kind of, that's, it's like a weird thing because yes. again, you should not need to appease, you know, how can I say it? One thing is, let's say people, even here in Western culture, they'll visit a grave and they'll put flowers on the, that's different. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking where there's certain things that you need to do on a certain day. And in some cases that you'll even have places where they even have altars and everything for the ancestor worship. And yeah. you better do that, whatever it is, because if not, if your great grandfather or grand uncle gets mad, you're in trouble. You're in yeah. doo-doo and they're not going to protect the family. Yes. All right. Yep. And you're treading a fine line there as far as who are you appeasing? Really? Is it yeah. your, or is it something else? Because again, yep. um, 
that's what I think sometimes where spiritual beliefs, you maybe their basis was on something else. And then you'll have other cultures where after somebody dies, you are not allowed to say that person's name mm. for fear that you will draw them back. Yes. All right. Yeah. In other yeah. words, not you, nobody that yep. everybody acts like so-and-so like, you know how we go through the grieving process and we have a wake and all this, there's places yeah. that once that person dies for a, an X amount of time, yeah. nobody is allowed to talk or say that person's name. Wow. Wow. Because the fear is that if you start calling that person's name or start talking about them, yeah. you're going to pull them back in. And of course, and it, you know, it takes on, you know, other yeah. things, but uh, yeah, there's right. Exactly. Call so let me, do you think that then what you're saying is that through the sleep paralysis, basically it's like a portal yes. that these beings have into reaching into you and then start yeah. Yep. I think it, you know, historically you always had to be in a, in a, some sort of state of an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. This is why, you right. know, a, a lot of them, this is where the, the concept of pharmakia comes in, you know, our, yes. our word for pharmacy, but obviously the Greek word means sorcery because in the old days you could not perform sorcery mm -hmm. unless you were in this altered state of consciousness. Cause that's, right. that was the portal to the spirit realm. And um, so that's why sleep paralysis is such an ideal time because you're in altered states of consciousness several times in and out of the night as you're drifting in and out of, of sleep stages. I think that that's going to change in the future. I think it's already changing. I think that the veil is getting thinner as we yes. are inviting, we, you know, talk about invitation into our own home. How about a country? inviting these things into the entire country through rebellion and through invitation um, and, and whatnot. So uh, what, what's happening now, I think, is that they're not necessarily going to even need, at some point, they're not even going to need us to be in an altered state of consciousness to communicate with us because they're going to alter um, aspects of our brain technologically and physio physiologically so that those switches that are on in our brain when we're in an altered state will always be flipped on and they they can already recreate a lot of this stuff in in an operating room there um there are regions of the brain where if you probe it the the patient will see shadow men walking around in the room right and uh there are medications like such as succinicoline which is used as a uh, mus muscle relaxant when you're intubating a patient. And if you were to get a shot of succinicoline without being sedated first, it mimics the whole sleep paralysis experience of you can't move. You feel like you can't breathe. I've heard that, that, like that, that's gotta be horrible. Yeah. So I, I talk about that a little bit in the book as well. And so medically, physiologically, technologically, they can recreate a lot of these. We know now through voice to skull technology and mm -hmm. um, a lot of these, these things. And this is why a lot of people are going to think they're going crazy. They're going to think they've got schizophrenia. They're going to think that they're communicating. Yeah. yeah that, that's a typical question. Do you hear voices? You know, yeah. one of the questions yep. people they've asked with people that were, you know, that are mentally ill, psychotic and stuff. Absolutely. Like, yeah, but. <laughs> Absolutely. And what do you and, think is going to happen with all this use of ayahuasca and the mushrooms and stuff? Sometimes I hear people and I'm like <sighs> dabbling in that. I'm like, I don't know, but I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. I, I, gosh, I don't either. I, 
I, oh, I mean, I, I, under, I understand that there's that we all as human beings, we are searching for meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. And and I, I get why people are doing it. But I think what people don't understand, even with things like like uh, some of these new age practices like Reiki and um, myofascial release and yoga and meditation. And, you know, there's right. a biblical meditation. It's much different than Eastern meditation, but with these things where you're putting yourself into an altered state of consciousness or you're, you're, you know, you're doing things that are making physiological, physiological changes in your body that are affecting chakras and um, uncoiling life force energies and third eye stuff when when you're doing that kind of stuff and this is where it, it gets difficult because there's people that say well this stuff has really relieved my pain and this has really right. helped me and and the fact of the matter is it's not that this stuff doesn't work it's mm -hmm. that you're never going to connect that the demonic activity in your life or the paranormal activity or the night tears, you're not ever going to connect that the, the, the things that opened those doors are, you know, the, these other activities, like, cause people aren't going to say the direct consequence of, you know, myofascial release is that now I'm right. having sleep paralysis. I mean, people don't make that connection. And, right. and yet it's interesting in the letters that I get, from people who are suffering, you know, this just mm -hmm. came out of nowhere. I've never had sleep paralysis in my whole life. And now it just came out right. of nowhere. And so, you know, we'll go through a bunch of things and we'll talk about different things. We'll try to troubleshoot. And, and then I teach them how, like, this is how you can pray and ask, you know, the God to just supernaturally reveal to you the source of this. And I've had in four months, I've had two women come back to me. Um, oh, and, and a guy, there's been three where, okay. uh, it came through a very innocent where they were getting physical therapy or a massage okay. or myofascial release. And yes. in all three cases, they were like, it was a Christian practice. It was a born again Christian. And, uh -huh. and the fact is that a lot of this stuff that's coming into medicine, coming into even naturopathy, coming into health and fitness, coming into right. um, physical fitness, again, because we're separated from the arcane knowledge because we're not being taught in the churches, the culture, the language, the context, the history, and the geography of the text. We have lost right. touch with the foundations. So a lot of these things are coming into the church, coming into right. theology, coming into all of these things. And a lot of us unwittingly are practicing uh, Eastern religions and we don't even right. know it because we're just yes. doing these innocent little things and we don't understand the origins. Well, one of the times, because uh, I've studied Reiki, and one of the things that, you know, that I came across one that, that basically, let's say, and I'm going to use Reiki as an example, but sure. you could apply it also to what you were talking about. Basically, the person, the practitioner is a filter. Mm. And if your Reiki practitioner is not, it's not as all put together as they appear. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Basically, you're filtering that whatever you want to, if, if you think you're getting healing power or whatever you're using the Reiki for, sometimes that's why you, like you describe, you will have people that will go to Reiki or something like that. Yeah. They sometimes have these side effects that they're like, what, where did yeah. this come from? Yeah. And it's because basically that human, that, that, that filter, because basically that's what they are. Yeah. All right. Yeah. They based your take, they're putting into you whatever is the part of them. 
All right. Yeah. And it's, it's you have to be really, really careful. And even if it's in a non-spiritual or non, you know, like yep. you said, even physical rehab, I don't know. Have you ever heard of that where they say that, you know, whatever the cook is feeling or doing, you, 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 it, it, it translates into the dish into that the they're food. cooking. Yeah. 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 Food. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, that applies, I think across the board yeah. where, like you said, you know, um, the, the guy that's giving you rehab, yeah. you know, you have no idea what's going on in this person's personal life. Right. All right. Right. They might be all together because they're they're at work, but you don't know in their who what kind of person they are to begin with. Or maybe there's something going on that in that uh, you know, whether the physical rehab or the massage or whatever, it yep. you will get it, especially if your defenses are a little bit low or a little bit open to it. I yes. have to say it like yes. attracts like. Yes. Um and you have to People have to be careful because, like you said, you could be going to some place either massage or rehab with no idea of spiritual, you know, whatever if you yeah. want to call it contamination, whatever you yes. want to call it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and I'm gonna give you a perf uh, one of the uh, the examples that um that I came that I've come across personally, and people have told me about. All right. Uh, people that have put down boundaries as far as uh, blessings or barriers, if you mm -hmm. want to call them with salt, blessing, yeah. which by yes. the way, in yes. the Catholic religion, even whatever people don't realize, even what you use in an exorcism, whether it's the water, the salt has to be blessed and exorcised. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other yeah. words, even what you're going to use, but anyway, yes, of people doing that, let's say in their home, whether you want to call it a house blessing themselves or and all of a sudden, they have either certain friends or families that don't want to come over anymore mm. or feel really uncomfortable. Wow. Because basically, when you do that, you're not permitting evil or I don't know, even if mm. it's not evil. I don't, I, sometimes I don't want to like get all Hollywood on it, but sure. negativity, whatever. Yeah. Even if that whatever that that person either carries or walks with them, they might not be aware of it but they will have an aversion to coming to your home. Mm. Okay. This is when you will have people that will, and normally that they mm. were supposed to come and spend the day with you half an hour later, they got, we got to go. And from then on, they'll, they'll go, oh, well, let's meet. We'll have meet at the restaurant mm. or you'll have, I've had instances of people that have done it. They've had workmen uh, that have been working and all of a sudden uh, the workmen disappear. They don't want to come back. It becomes like a big, and it's like, man, what was the point of origin? The point of origin was mm -hmm. after they sealed their location, whether it's their property or the actual home, mm. as far as against negativity and evil or anything that like that. It 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 works. In other words, everybody thinks of it as only being um, on a spiritual entry, but yes. if you've got something that walks with that person, whether it's spiritual turbulence or an attachment or whatever, yep. whatever. Yeah. It will not permit them to go there wow. or it will want to get out of Dodge, like <laughs> right away. Like, yes. Like a, yes. And, and, and the person there's like, I, I don't get it. What happened? It's like, Oh yeah. Because of what you did. Yeah. You know? Um, the, yeah. It, it Sometimes the, just people don't put two and two together as how that works. No, they don't. The, the threshold I, you know, I write about it a lot in the book and I've done some um, virtual conferences and things that, and a lot of it, a lot of my talks will focus on the threshold and how um, 
in in antiquity when people we were an agrarian society there were no cities like and our mm-hmm. our whole life was at home living in our cave or our tent the the threshold was the hearthstone yes. it was it was the it was the hearth and this was the altar of the home there was no temples or churches or synagogues mm-hmm. back then and so the house father was the priest of the home and that fire was not only where fellowship and hospitality rituals and food and warmth. And that's where the family Mm -hmm. gathered. So it was the central meeting place, but it was also the altar. So that's where their sacrifices were made and the animals were slaughtered and the blood was poured. And, Mm -hmm. and so this is another example of where these entities can catch us on legalities by tricking us because we don't understand anymore. And we don't put any importance anymore on the threshold of our home or the threshold of our bedroom. Right. But they are still that, that threshold into our home is still the altar of, of the home. And uh, if we are not securing those thresholds uh, we're not paying any mind to who we're letting come in and out of the home. Uh, We might not think it matters anymore, but the, the entities who are ageless, they do know, and they're, banking on our not knowing and that's how many of them get access well that's why you would have even in even a pre well i'm going to say pre-judeo-christian and roman times and everything yeah where they would sometimes even sacrifice a slave yes uh, under a new structure yes either in appeasement or sometimes that spirit would be the guardian in other words you're going to be a slave in the afterlife for us yeah okay yeah. um like because of what you said because the entryway usually uh, was the point, you know, in other words, the person or the, the families or whatever understood that it wasn't just the, the, the human visitors Yeah, that you always had to safeguard against a spiritual, yep. uh, visitor. Yes. And, 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 of, and I'm sure you've seen, well, you know, you get that, you know, symbology, even things that are sigils or anything that's drawn mm-hmm. also, yes. yes. Um, was a way like, to like a safeguard. Um, Correct. The protection, the protection, you, you know, the the um, this concept that the cornerstone of many buildings were actually built on top of human blood or a human sacrifice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even even that. And a lot of people miss this, too. In in the New Testament, one of the things that Jesus calls himself is the chief cornerstone. And so a lot of people think that that just simply means he's the he's the firm foundation or he's what holds right. the structure of the church up. And yeah, of course it means that. But what he was basically saying is, I am going to be that cornerstone sacrifice instead right. of you. I'm going to my shed blood is going to be the cornerstone of what the church is built upon. You're going to build uh, this this assembly of believers upon my blood, upon my corpse, so to speak, even though he did raise. And so, again, this is something that we we miss because we don't understand the culture. And mm-hmm. um, another interesting thing in regards to that, going rewinding a little bit in our conversation to the the uh, appeasement of the ancestors. You know, a lot of us, you know, who are raised in the church, we, you know, Abraham was this great patriarch of the faith. And so we just assume that from the day he was born, he was this like born again Christian who sat in a Baptist church. Right. But he was actually born in a very secular pagan society. And Mm -hmm. his father, Tara, actually worked in the employ of Nimrod, you know, the the guy who built the Tower of Babel. And he was a Raphaim, you know, he had secret arcane knowledge. And, and so Abraham was raised in a home where there were false idols. And 
you get a lot of this information in the book of Jasher, which is kind of the director's cut of Genesis and part of Exodus. It's, it, it's the same as it appears in, in the traditional Bible, but there's a whole bunch of blanks filled in. And so his, their whole home, they had a room just filled with all these idols. And right. that was how he was raised. And what's interesting is even when God called him, even when God uh, made that covenant with Abraham, which by the way, if you read closely, that that covenant that was made with Abraham, that you know his descendants would be as the stars of the sky, Abraham was asleep and he was overcome with darkness in a dream. If you actually read that passage where God made the promise with him, it's very sleep paralysis sounding. But, okay. but what's interesting is the anxiety that Abraham expresses to God when God says that your descendants will be as the stars. Abraham says, I don't have any ancestors. This, this guy in my, my employee is going to have to be my heir. So none of my none of his kids are biologically even going to be mine. And so a lot of people think that what Abraham is worried about there is ancestors, right? What, what he's really worried about. And if you go into ancient texts and, and, and other texts surrounding this, Abraham was not a Christian. And at this point he hadn't even been called by God yet. And so he didn't have all of this knowledge of the Torah and all this stuff necessarily. He was raised in a pagan home and what he was concerned about with not having a son was who is going to perform the ancestral rites every year on my grave. I, I'm right. going to be lost for eternity. I don't have a son to come to my grave and perform these rituals and these rites. And so he was fearing for his own soul because he didn't have a concept at right. that time of a, of a promise or a Messiah. And so, again, these are just things that we... Right. And this that is we, this and this is this was a real fear. This was not like, oh, this was the way you were brought up, whatever the culture or the religion was. Yeah. And there was this was a real fear as far as, you know, what what happens to you after the, the death of the physical body. Yes. You yes. Know? Yeah. This was he, a, th this was such amazing insight into, you know, we sit here in the 21st century as people who have heard the gospel a million times, like we've known from the day we were born, like, Hey, here's our, here's our escape route. You know, here's our free pass. Mm -hmm. We'll pray to receive Jesus. But we've always known that, but think about being in an ancient culture where, you know, nobody's talking about Jesus coming to earth and dying on a cross. And, you legitimately think that the preservation of your soul is dependent upon your offspring and you don't have offspring. Yes. You know, a, a, a lot of us kind of think, you know, man, why was there such a massive focus in ancient cultures about having to have that son, having that heir, having, right. and it, it wasn't just about your name living on or your inheritance. It, it was those things, but it, it was also about they truly believed that their soul was going to be lost if they didn't have right. progeny taken care of of their 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 dead bones, you know, right there. They're yet yeah, their graves or whatever. Yeah. Let me ask you, because before I forget, you mentioned that two women had come back to you. Yes. How did they how did they, how was this revealed to them in a dream? How, how did they find this out? How did they so come to this information? When people come to me and they ask me, you know, why is this happening to me? So mm -hmm. I I suggest, and it, it, one of the appendices in my book is 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 laying this out. So I call it prayer mapping. It you can call it whatever you want. It's just prayer. But uh, what I what I suggest that people do is you 
go to an undistracted place, you know, shut the phone off and just really focus. And um, eventually you're going to pray and you're going to ask, you know, the spirit of God to reveal to you supernaturally the source, because a lot of times we think we know the source. Oh, I played with a Ouija board in high school. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I slept with right. my boyfriend. I shouldn't. I had an abortion. I shouldn't have done that. And a lot of people, when they write to me, they self-diagnose what they think let, let him in. But then what, what also is inevitable is a lot of these people spend years and years asking to be forgiven over and over and over again for that same thing. And, and the sleep paralysis persists. And so they think, you know, God's not hearing my prayer. It's like, no, maybe you haven't come to the right. source. Maybe you think that that's what it is, but it, it might not even be something that you did. It could be someone in your house that's brought this in. It can be ancestral. It can be bloodline. It can be if you've had. Oh, um, uh, you you're ahead of the curve because I was going to ask you, that was my next question. Yep. What, how does the, the ancestry or the bloodline, uh, whether yep. it's a vow that your ancestor took. Ancestor vows, figures, uh, mm -hmm. secret society initiation yeah. rites. Um, you know, there are secret societies where you pledge your entire bloodline over yeah. to these entities in, in essence. Right. And, and so um, it's not going to be necessarily, the first thing that someone thinks of. And so, sure. so what I ask people to do is like, you know, get alone and just really get a notebook or, you know, whatever you do, and then just write down every single thing that pops into your head that you think could possibly have been an open door. So you, you exhaust all the obvious things first, you know, all the bad mm -hmm. things you did, you know, and, and then, you know, you start to get more obscure and then you start to think of more um, things outside, you know, you start going into concentric circles, like further and further away. And, um, and then you, uh, you use the list and then you pray through the whole list and you just, you say these things out loud. And, um, it, it's sort of like, sometimes something will pop off the list at you and you'll go, Hmm, I I'm kind of getting it. And, and in fact, I tell people too, if something kind of keeps coming to your mind and you don't want to write it down because you're embarrassed or you think it's stupid or you think it's irrelevant, write it down. Cause sometimes even that thought that you don't want to write it down is interference. It's, it's someone who doesn't want you to figure it out. And so this yeah. happened to me personally, when I first did this, uh, there was something I didn't want to write down cause I thought it was so stupid. And so I'm writing down all these like big things, you know, okay. and getting overly complicated and hyperanalyzing everything. And it kept coming to mind to the point where I realized, I think I'm actually going to be in disobedience if I don't write it down. It's so dumb, Marlene. I remembered that when I was like four years old, which, hmm, that's when I said my sleep paralysis started, right? Okay. I had three invisible friends and it okay. just started out innocent where I got a huge chalkboard for Christmas one year and okay. I would play school. And so I would sit in my room because I'm an introvert and stuff. I just like being by myself. And so I was in my room and I would, you know, make up names of kids in the class and I'd write it on the chalkboard and then I would get my school books and I would teach, you know, um, this invisible class. And so, okay. um, at some point I created this invisible friend who was like a teacher. So she was okay. like my teacher's age. So she was like, you know, a grown woman. And, and then I started to remember because I didn't want to write down the invisible friends because I thought it was stupid. So when I finally right. wrote it, when I wrote it down, 
Um, when I went back and I prayed over it, that leapt out at me. And so I began to ponder it and I started getting crystal clear, like memory downloads of, of these three friends. Okay. And I realized that all three of these friends had very specific names and the names didn't correlate to anyone I knew in real life. So it wasn't like I was okay. naming them after my real teacher or whatever. And these three um, invisible friends did not come at the same time. What happened was the first one, the woman who was the teacher, she eventually became so mean that I invented a second invisible friend who was like an uh, was like a guy who okay. who could ward her off of me and defend me and protect me. But then okay. I found out then I found out that that invisible friend was two-faced and he would be nice to me, okay. but he was really in cahoots. So I had to invent a third invisible friend who was a hundred percent authentic. And this played into a, a very complex fantasy storyline mm -hmm. that, that started out in the sleep paralysis and in the dreams. And then it bled over into my real life, into my playing in my room with my chalkboard. And it wasn't until this point in time when I was prayer mapping that I realized that what these three invisible friends were teaching me and doing okay. was very similar to the things that happened to MK ultra mind control patients. It was this okay. sort of abusive like stuff and it was mean and it was stuff well beyond my purview of knowledge. And right. it was, it was almost as if I was being, groomed and mind controlled without even having to be in that setting. And it's really weird. They're all adults. Yes. Is what you saw. Yes. They were all adults. And, and so when I specifically prayed over all three of those people by names thinking, what if I created in those invisible friends, what if I created empty vessels that got filled sure. and, sure. and they played these roles. And so when I, when I was able to pray that over, um, the sleep paralysis in the classic form that it had always come to me no longer had its power. When the sleep paralysis attacks came to me from that mm -hmm. point on, I'd say, in the name of Jesus, get out. You no longer have any power. I have no fear of you. And after a few times, they stopped. And so mm -hmm. when I explained all this to the people that, you know, who call me for counseling or whatever, and we, we go through these things, um, Sometimes they'll come back and tell me, hey, I found the source. Sometimes I, I never hear from them again and I don't know. But in two right. instances, the women came back and said, I found out what it was and I repented of it and I stopped going and it stopped. And in one case, it's been gone for three years. But I I could have fallen off my chair with a feather. Two women came back to me and said it was myofacial release specifically. So so they were able to trace back that point of origin that sometimes we get so caught up in daily life that it yeah. just speeds by us. Yeah. So basically they found, they, they tied down to after this. Yeah. That's wow. It, it, and, and, and some of it is like, I try to get them to like, when did this start? When did the sleep paralysis start? And so kind of try to think in terms of things that might be new. Was there anything new? Did you meet any new people? Mm -hmm. Do you have a strange right. coworker that keeps bringing you blueberry muffins? You know, like things like that. Cause you know, yes. it could be yes. some, somebody yes. bringing you charged objects or something like that. So of course, you, know, you, exactly. you kind of go through these things and, and, and then there was another, there was a guy who came to me and with him, it was, he was just getting massage um, for back pain uh, yeah. but there was something with that, 
woman that she was starting to astral project into his room and things like that. And he realized it was, uh, yeah. (laughs) You know what? But this is the thing, you know, that it could work in the other direction too. Sure. If you're the massage therapist. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you know, it goes in the other direction too. Yeah. Okay. Where you, you know, you remember, I'm sure you've heard of it, you know, where they had the sin eater. Yeah. Oh, yes, the yes, person, yes. Yes. The, the person, person who ate the food on the cake. corpse. Yes. Right. And they would eat and they basically, they, they were eating all the sins of the village or whatever. Y- yeah. The well, dead person. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, they, yeah. they, 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 some, in some places I know they had the, the dead person and sometimes they would even have it like, uh, you know, like, a you're going to eat the, the sins of this little village and take it. And then, then we're going to drive you off or whatever. <laughs> I know. And then they were shunned. These poor guys. Right, they were shunned. But it, <laughs> you know what? You could have somebody, whether it's um, if you want to call it a psychic vampire or even a yes. sin eater kind of scenario yes. where you're taking away more than just the person's, you know, scrunched up muscles. You're yes. taking something from them yes. that you might not want. It, it, yes. it does work in the other direction though. It's not like all, it's all, it's not just the person receiving it. It could go. And the reason why I say this is that you also hear this happening to a lot of people that are first responders, whether they're police or fire rescue, paramedics or things like that. Yeah. Where nurses, um, where there's that residue, whatever, because sometimes, I mean, how can I say this? Obviously, let's say you work in the medical field, you're going to be impacted because you're going to see also depending on what department you work in, but you're going to see things that are difficult. People yes. hurting, dying, right. suffering. That's yeah. But sometimes there's something about certain people. Okay. That you get more than what you bargained for. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I've heard of that happening to people. Uh, what is it in the, with the, where they're, if you want to call them a caregiver type of role. Yes. With that more is taken from them. Then yes. they realize, or something else is given back in return, you know, that exchange stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, there's also, um, if you want to call it a boundary or something that has to be put up there. Um, yeah. That just because you don't see it, almost, almost like what you said, where they, where you were asking them, you know, have you, do you have a coworker who's baked chocolate chip <laughs> cookies or something? And after that, it's yeah. like everything went sideways. Up. Yeah. Because, and even, uh, most, you know, in, in a lot of cultures that has that magical thinking, uh, getting somebody to eat something. Yes. Is wow. It, yes. That, that'll really put a hook in you, for lack of a better word. Yes. Um, as far yes. as some, if somebody's doing something along those lines. But that's really interesting what you said that this facial might recognize that, that they must have, they must have. So what happened? They stopped going and yes. then it stopped or. Yep. So okay. they, they, they repented of it. And, and what's really um, interesting, but not surprising to me is because, you know, these were Christian women dealing with Christian practitioners of like physical therapy or whatever. And right. when, when the one woman in particular went back to the Christian woman and said, you know, do you know that this has origins in Eastern mysticism and new age and the, the poor Christian uh-huh. woman with this, you know, successful practice was like, no, like she, she was kind of mortified, you know? And right. um, so I, I don't think, I, I think that again, even Christians with the best intentions who are right. always studying for like new ways of, of um, naturopathic medicine. And, right. and I'm even careful. Cause like, I, I like to kind of, you know, 
heal as normally and naturally as possible without sure. having to sure. complicate it too much. Because I mean, I, I spent the sure. first 16 years of my life in the hospital. It's not like I'm right, opposed yeah. to it, but but it's like I, you know, I'm just trying to like eat good and and figure out good exercises and things. And right. I've just even noticed with some people where I I would a thousand percent vouch for the authenticity of their faith. Like right. these are definitely believers. And they'll start right. talking to me about stuff that they're taking courses on and that they're going to start integrating. And I'll be like, you know, that's totally new age, right? No, 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 no. Not everything that comes from the East is bad because they had stuff figured out about the body. And I get that. Like, and that's right. why it really, you can't just black or white say every single thing like this is evil. Like, you know, don't even do right. a jumping jack because it could look like a yoga pose. Like, I mean, there's a point where you can get way yeah, off the beaten yeah. track, but, yes. but it requires discernment. And so like, if we are, yes. uh, you know, in that field or if we're seeking things and I mean, we just have to have discernment and even like, you know, when we do get home as introverts and we feel yeah. drained, like we need to be in touch with you know, I was only shopping for an hour. I shouldn't be this tired. I shouldn't feel right. as drained. And like, there's, there, we have to get better into the pra practice of being aware of what our yes. body and mind is telling us. And, and then getting into the habit of when we get home or when we've been with other people to just pray and just say, Father, if I picked up anything, if, if yes. there was anything, if anything charged, it, uh, just you know, praying for this protection. And one thing I do now when I wake up, is uh, this is based on a rather obscure passage in the book of Numbers. Uh, there's this obscure story in in the book of Numbers where it's talking about making vows to God. And I mean, so this isn't okay. even talking about making covenants or bad vows or bad oaths. But if if you make an oath to God, like if you make a vow to God, if you're a man, your word is your word and there's right. no way out of it. You've just bound yourself, you know, so you know, be careful what you vow to God, because if you're a man, there's no loophole. And, but then it says, if you're a married woman mm -hmm. or you're a daughter, if your father or your husband hear about this vow and they don't have to hear about it the day you did it, it says the, the day that they hear of it. So it could be a week right. later. It, could, it, it, if your husband or your father find out about this oath that you made to God, if they don't agree with it, they can disavow you of that oath. Really? They can go to God on your behalf and say, this oath is null and void. I did not agree to it. And this isn't this isn't to be read in the perspective of a man's telling a woman what to do and you don't get your way. Right, and I, right. I, this is this is a protective thing. Like, mm -hmm. you, whoa, you just you have no idea what you just did. I'm going to protect you from this. Like you actually got a loophole out of this. You're lucky. So right. what I what I do now, because I've come to the conclusion now that sleep paralysis, I believe in many cases can be an abduction the same way okay. that the UFOs are abductions. Now, a lot of people who have UFO abduction experiences, they will tell you, I have no recollection of what happened, but right. I know something happened because there's this missing time. So uh -huh. what's very clever about the sleep paralysis experience is that when you wake up five, six, seven, eight hours later after you've gone to bed, no one is looking for missing time because you right. know oh. hours yeah. have gone by. That's not unusual. And so exactly what what I think is kind of scary and that I'm starting to sort of explore in my own life, much to my horror, is that um, because sleep paralysis sufferers have total recall 
of what all five senses were going through in, in this heightened sense of trauma and awareness. They can tell you, I woke up at this time, I looked at the clock, it was this color, this is what its eyes looked like, it was by the door, this is what it said, like they, they have recall. And so right. what ends up I think happening is a lot of us think that because I have such a strong memory of what was happening there in my bedroom, Clearly, I'm remembering every single bit of this whole okay. experience. But what I think is happening is, I think that in many times, this is my own experience too, and other people will tell me this, the sleep paralysis experience actually starts as a dream. And at some point, right. the dream goes bad. You're in the dream, and something will happen in the dream, and you'll go, oh, no, this is going to turn into sleep paralysis. But you're deep in a dream. Right. You're not awake. You're not looking at your room. Right. And then in the dream, something demonic starts to happen. And then all of a sudden you're waking up going, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And then it's over. And you're like, whew, close call. What I think is happening is in many cases or in some cases, you know, depending on um, what their motive is for getting a hold of you, I think Mm. that when we wake up, it is possible that there's large portions of that sleep paralysis experience that we no longer remember. Right, exactly. Yep. And what they're probably doing is trying to secure that invitation and permission that we were talking about earlier. And I think in many cases, they are duping us into making oaths and covenants. And I I could go on and on and on about well, this. And I'm going to tell you something that I, I've learned that one of the things that people will do, you know, is that your brain, and this is especially when you start talking about childhood trauma or trauma yes. even later on. Yes. Okay. What your brain does or your mind is to keep you sane. Yes. Right. Yes. So this what's that's what sometimes people will not remember things, or if when they do remember, sometimes people will not remember things ever. Yes. Because at some point, your mind recognizes you will never be able to handle this truth. Yes. The recollection of this. Yes. Right. Then yes. you'll have people who sometimes weeks, years later will start having, first they'll start having weird dreams, like symbolic yep. dreams. It's yep. basically your subconscious trying to tell yep. you, okay, I think you're ready now yes. to get that full recall. All yes. right. And then that's why you'll have people that will have all these recollections all of a sudden that what this yeah. happened. Yeah. You know, but there's times, like you said, that if you're never really able to handle what goes on in during that sleep time, yep. you will not remember it. In other words, it's not that somebody's not letting you remember. You're not letting yourself remember. Yes. Because if you remembered it, you couldn't handle it. In other words, you could. And that's when you get people, you know, with the multiple personality, what yep. they call this associative disorder, yep. the ID, yep. blah, 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 blah. You yes. know, because that's it. There, there, there comes a point where the mind says, you know, I can't cover this up. Sorry. You yeah. Know, and, yes. And that's when you start getting that the all that other you know mental illness and well, it could go yes. horrible ways. But that that but that's usually a product of really deep and systematic abuse. Yes. But I love that. In Marlene. this case, that, I love I that like that people people don't realize that you know um, sometimes and you they'll even have that in some cases you know where you have people that have witnessed uh, a crime. Yes. And yes. they'll be asked and they'll say, "I can't remember. I can't." You know. Yeah. And, but then six or seven, even victims themselves, yes. six, two months, three months, all of a sudden it starts coming back and they'll say, well, how come you couldn't remember? It's yeah. because at that point, your mind was not letting you remember. Right. Right. Because you couldn't handle it right then and there. Yep. And, and maybe that's... three, three months later, it's like, it's okay. Now it's starting to come back. 
Yes. Um, and and that's where you get all the false memory society. Oh, well, you also stuff. you have, like why are well, you coming up with this now at 30 years old? Right. Well, see, this is this is the thing. The thing with the false memories was tied up to hypnosis. Okay. Yes. Yes. Where people were being asked, were basically instead of being asked a certain way, they were being told. Yes. So in other words, they were being given the information. They're being led. And, yep. and, and, and basically they wove them a story and it became their story. Yep. All right. And if that's not the way that's supposed to work with in, in, in the sense of memory, re recovering memories or right. anything like that. Suggestions. You know, yeah. and again, even then, it, and, and this is the thing. And then you'll have people, let's say siblings who have undergone the same trauma. Yes. One can handle it and one can't. It's just, yes. that's just the way our emotional makeup is. Yes. Some people can handle it. And some people can't, or you'll have one sibling that'll say, well, you know, remember when that and that and that happened and the other one will go, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, what? I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah. And you'll like be, okay, somebody's lying here. And it's like, no. Yeah. Though maybe the one that can't remember, especially if it was something awful is yes. because they just cannot handle it. Yeah. And they I might never, by the way, people, people right. sometimes go through a whole lifetime not remembering certain episodes. I, I'm sure you've heard of people that have whole blocks of their childhood. Mm-hmm. Or be, or they can't remember be below a certain age. Yep. Yep. But you say, how can you not remember that? Yeah. And they don't, but it's for a reason usually. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it gets into the like, don't wake up a sleepwalker thing. Like, if if someone can't remember, right. they are not prepared or ready at that point to remember. Sure. Um. So yeah, I love that line of thinking. I love that explanation. I think but that's yeah, it, it, it's 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 it's. It's almost like, what are you ready to accept? Yeah. What's your threshold yep. of um, of sanity? How's that? Yeah. <laughs> of sanity. Are the cognitive uh, dissonance? Well, right. So you could you could you could handle it. You exactly. Know. So what what I have kind of come to the conclusion of lately is there's probably a lot of things that have happened to me astrally during mm -hmm. these encounters that I right. have no memory of, and so what I do now is. When I wake up, I kind of call on that that passage in in numbers, and I just say, okay. "Okay, I'm like, okay, God, if you're presenting yourself to me as my father, and Jesus, if you're presenting yourself to me as a bridegroom, then right. you're both in the category of being able to disavow me from anything. And so, okay. if I agreed to anything in my dreams tonight that I have no memory of, if I made any oaths or covenants, if I gave any invitations or permissions, and if you don't agree with them," Okay. I, I pray that supernaturally behind the veil there, you would advocate as my father or as my bridegroom and that you would disavow me of, of any of those vows that I made. And then I just move on with my day and 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 work forward. And I, I wish I had known that um, a long time ago because um, and I, I talk about this sometimes there are Christians out there that talk about how they genuinely are believers they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're a hundred percent on board. They, they love the Lord. They're, they're in the word and they're, they're doing all the things, but there is this absolute inability, no matter what they do to attach emotionally to God or to Jesus. There, there's no real joy. There's never any tears. There's like worship doesn't move them. And mm -hmm. um, so when I talk to people who have had sleep paralysis their whole life or these paranormal experiences or these encounters, um, I, I do talk about the possibility of if, if covenants were made, because um, a lot of these threshold covenants are, are sort of synonymous in many cases with this, the betrothal covenants. 
which is why so many of, of the, uh, it just, I could write a whole book on this. I don't, don't want to get too far off course, but the fact of the matter is sometimes, you know, we can't give our hearts to two. And if there's some sort of covenant there that we don't know about, we have to unbind ourselves from that covenant. And sometimes that's what's blocking that emotional connection to the Lord. You know, we've got right. all this. Now, now, let me ask you something, Vicki. Yeah. At what point do when you, because obviously you start as a very young child having these experiences. Yeah. When was it, or can you remember that there was a point that you turned that, that that you turned a corner on this with a sleep paralysis? Yes, it was in my early thirties, and okay, what happened was I hadn't had sleep paralysis for a while. I had a nice okay. intermediary period between twenty three, age twenty three, and then it came back again. Um, when in my like mid thirties, so, or, or wow. late there, late a 30s. long time it was. So, okay. um, what happened was at this point in my early thirties, I had never heard the term sleep paralysis before it was not in my okay. vernacular. And okay. I believed that I was the only one in the world who had ever had this experience and that somehow really? I was being attacked and that I was, um, I had tried to tell a friend one time when I was 15 about it and she was very empathetic and she believed me and she was very kind, but she came back to school on Monday and told me, Oh, I talked to my mom and you're demon possessed and you have to get an exorcism and all this. And so, and I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it, but I thought that said to me at 15 years old, you can't ever speak about this again because that's I <laughs> so, it was my little secret for a while. So I really thought I'm the only one that's ever had this experience. Uh -huh. And so I was going to bed one night and I was listening to an apologetics podcast. And the okay. reason I liked this particular podcast is because it was three hours long. And so mm -hmm. it was one of those things where I could listen to it and fall asleep without having right. like the tape end, so to speak, and then wake you up. Right. So one night the topic was, you know, what is the, what is our culture's obsession all of a sudden with all these ghost hunting shows and stuff? I'm like, oh, this mm -hmm. is going to be a cool one. Right. So I fell asleep and I woke up, you know, an hour or so later and I'm groggy. So I'm not necessarily remembering that there's a podcast playing and I'm half asleep. And I actually thought I was having sleep paralysis because I woke up hearing a man perfectly describing my sleep paralysis experience to the detail. And so I'm like, I'm having sleep paralysis. They're mocking me here, you know? And then right. all of a sudden I kind of came to and realized like, no, wait, I'm fully awake. I'm, this is the podcast. I'm like, I can't believe this. So I kind of like rewound, you know, as best as I could and was just sitting on my bed at like two in the morning, listening to this mm -hmm. guy perfectly describe my experience. And then okay. the other guys were chiming in and like, Oh yeah, yeah. And then this and that. And I was like, this is a real thing. Other people have had this. Like wow. it was, it was this, it was this dual emotion of absolute relief and joy that there were other people out there and I wasn't crazy. But then at the same time, absolute terror and realizing that what, all these years I had thought were just really bad dreams were really actually some sort of a visitation. So that's, that freaked the crap out of me. But yeah. at the end of this, they're like, well, yeah, yeah, it's called sleep paralysis and chills just went all the way up and down my, my body like three or four times because I had never heard a name for it. 
And, you know, this was a while ago. So it's like we had the internet, but I don't even think Google was around yet. So you right. had to kind of be savvy to find things on the internet because there wasn't really right. search engines yet. And I found some message boards where okay. people were talking about their experiences. And I spent hours and hours that next day just reading, you know. And you must have been like, oh my God. Like the mother Isn't that great? You must have thought, I'm getting picked on. Why me? Why am I the only one that this is happening? <laughs> yeah. To? yeah, it was so great. So I was just mild. Like I kind of thought, okay, closure on that. That's now I can put, uh, you know, I can put a period on that and shut that book. And this huge mystery is solved. And I moved on from it um, probably almost 10 years. I didn't think about it again. I didn't, okay. whatever. And then um, the sleep paralysis started reoccurring around 40 years old when my mom died. And there was okay. a lot of other things going on at that point. So then I got intrigued again. And that was like 10 years ago. And I'm, okay. I'm trying to even think that the, the process of writing a book about it really came about unintentionally I started writing for real dark news realdarknews.com and it's um mm -hmm. it's a news website that's associated with through the black and Tom Dunn it's a like a ministry that like exposes the occult and okay. uh, Tom was a protege of the late Russ Dizdar and so um I started writing for real dark news and so when I first came on board a few years ago the you know the admin was like well why don't you do an article on like sleep paralysis. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, I can write on this. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went to write the article, I realized, wait a minute, you know, even though I experienced this my whole life, I really can't explain what it is. Like I really right. didn't know. And so I really started praying and it took me weeks to even weeks of praying and praying with other people and even doing a little bit of fasting because I really, I, I felt like, God was telling me, I want you to write on this, but I don't want you to regurgitate anything that's already been said. The stuff out there is a kind of a bunch of trash. Like, I want you to really get to the bottom of it. So it took me three or four weeks before I could even write that article. And Let me ask you something, just real quick. Yeah. During that time period between you, you were asked to do it till you finally started doing it. Yes. Did you find that that things were occurring to interfere with you completing that? That is a really... Besides your own fear. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, not that I remember, um, but it okay. very much could have, and I just don't remember. Um, well, it's just procrastination. It could yes. be, but but you know, some things are more subtle, and some are more overt. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Trying to derail you off that, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So after I wrote the article, I thought, wow, there's so much more here. And I just started mm -hmm. kind of doodling. And so I just kind of started writing a mock like book proposal of, okay. you know, what, what would I, if I was going to write a whole book on this, what would I do? And so I, I wrote out this whole chapter summary and, and everything. And then after I got done, I thought, you know, this is kind of good. This has potential. And so I okay. handed the proposal out to about eight different people. And okay. within about two, two or three months, um, L.A. Marzulli was one of the guys I gave it to, and he gave me a okay. call and he said, I want to publish this. And I fell off my chair and <laughs> said, oh, I, I hope right. I can write this book. <laughs> right. So. right. Because it's like, you know, like they say, and the reason why I asked you is in my experience, sometimes like one, you know, one door opens. Yeah. When you, yeah. in other words, you would never have gotten to the book proposal idea. Right. If you had not first done that article. Yes. Idea. Yep. Um, 
you know, you wouldn't have jumped to the book thing. And that's yes. why I was saying, did you get detoured somehow? Yes. Oh, and, yes. Uh, you'll oh, have yes. people that will say, whether it's procrastination or fear or, you know, or what they call life gets in the way, or sometimes actual crisis yes. happen. Massive, um, massive periods of writer, writer's block. Writer's right. block, or they yeah. just get um, derailed. And sometimes pe it takes a while for people to look back and say, you know what? I think somebody sabotaged me. Yeah. <laughs> I because that's the only that's the only way to look at it. Um, yeah. When yeah. you look at certain things that occur, that either stop it or delay it. Yes. And there's and, and it, it's 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 really weird, but sometimes only in hindsight can you see that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's interesting, though, that you just pursued it, and then from there you stepped off and did the book. Yeah, it was great. It it was a neat experience. Just. Um, <sighs> But it did from from the point of uh, having the proposal accepted to the book coming out. It was right. over three years, and like when yeah. when we tried to send it to the printer, it took okay. almost a year because of all the delays. First, it was COVID. Then it was a supply chain oh. error. Then the printers got um, hacked and lost all their <laughs> stuff. And then every single one of their printers across the United States came back online, except the location that had my book. I, I'm not joking. What a took, I know. So it took, I think, close to a year from the time right. we sent the manuscript to the pr printer to actually get. Oh, and then when we ordered it, um, they had a whole entire shipping error with they boxed everything wrong and then they had to rebox it, but then they wouldn't do it because it was a holiday so then it delayed it even more. It, it was one thing after you must have i'm yeah see and this and sometimes that's what i'm saying you look maybe when it was it, while it was going on you say well it's just aggravating but then when you look back and sometimes you see a pattern it's like okay all right somebody's putting their finger on the scale kind of thing like okay somebody here is like and it, it and sometimes things like that happen and you could say you know okay you're seeing things where there isn't yeah but sometimes sure things happen to Basically, whether it's simple distraction, yes, all right, get distracted, or it's like, oh, okay, simple distraction isn't going to work because this person really wants to do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, really wants. So we got to have to really lay it out heavy. Let's see what we could do. Let's see what we could throw in there. You know. Yep, absolutely. It, it could come in a variety of forms. Yes, Vicky, it has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. I could spend Me another too, two hours right? talking to you. <laughs> I know. Like, okay, I mean, this is but, a jackpot. I know. I'm telling awesome. you, I really love it because you know you you bring a I want to say it in an angle but that's what it is to the sleep paralysis and that whole whether you want to call it the you know and I'm sure you've heard of the hat man and shadow yep. man and yep. Yep. all these things that people experience yes that goes beyond the you know this happened and yeah. they just think it's like it's a bad experience yeah. But you you see the agenda, in other words, behind yeah. it. Yeah. Which there, is very this, interesting. This is more than eating a, eating spaghetti before you go to bed. <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely. And that's 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 the thing, you know. And by this, I'm not saying people can have nightmares which have nothing supernatural or and, and nothing sure. to do. Everybody, that's the, yeah. that is the, you know, people, sometimes nightmares help you work out your, yes. what's your fears, you know. Absolutely. You just, and you just do that shadow boxing in your head or something. Sometimes you're worried about something and before you know it, you have a bad dream about it. Yeah. It's not like, but uh, what you described, even what that, that 
thing that you said that you had when you were four years old of three adults. Yeah. Okay. And I was, when you're telling me, I was like, okay, they're doing the bad cop, good cop honor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, they were. You know, oh it's like, God. of course you were a child. You were a child. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. And then it's like, this is like, and so unusual to have adults, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting as far as that you could remember this far back yeah. and that you were able to, even at that age, yeah, realize okay, there's something here that that's not not right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Again, Vicky, it has been absolutely great to speak to you, and I want to wish you the best of luck. By the way, do you have any other books uh, planned? Yes, I do. Thank you for asking. I actually just started research uh, this this week for book number two. Ellie Marzuli is going to publish that one as well. Hopefully, this okay. one won't take three years, but. Um, we're going to be delving kind of more kind of in the same direction. Cause I have an idea for book three. So I want to kind of like lead there, but right. I, I think, you know, things change. Sometimes projects, once you get into them, they change drastically, but we're going to sort of be exploring how the um, media children's media in particular is using media as a vehicle to teach and expose people to the occult Absolutely. and and so that'll be that'll be fun and um but the, the this book they only come out at night it is yes. only available on lamarzuli.net it is not on okay. Amazon or anything so if anyone okay. is interested in they only come out at night that is um they only come out on lamarzuli.net <laughs> let me ask you what is your website this is for my podcast listeners because i have a link to the credits of the show but for the podcast listeners what's sure. your website yep it's vickyjoyanderson.com that's vicky with an i and anderson with the s o n ending and okay. i got all sorts of other books and stuff on that site if you go to the media okay. tab you can um, go to all the other podcasts and shows and stuff i've i've done and Vicky Joy author is my Instagram handle. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So again, okay. So you, you, we've got, we, we, when do you, what are you planning to, to, do you think that you're going to have that book done? Ooh. The, the other one, the, is it in my next year or no? Well, I don't know. I mean, you never know with books. And so, um, but like I said, I have started the research. And so the writing, once I'm in the writing mode, I, the, the the easiest and the fastest part of the process for me is writing the book. It's right. But then it gets out of your hands with like, you don't know how long the editor is right. going to take and the drafts and the publisher and the printer and all that stuff. Right. So, like you, like you've learned already. Yeah, exactly. It's, but, it's once it leaves your hands. That's right. But as far as it depends on me, I'm going to kick it into high gear. <laughs> of course. Again, thank you so much and all the best to you. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Okay. I'm like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have heard, of course, of sleep paralysis or in uh, one version of it, you know, you have the, 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 you know, I've heard versions where people have the sleep paralysis. They don't see something but they sense something is in the room with them. Other people do see something. I've heard of people say, some people will have the hat man or the dark shadow or the, uh, some version of that. All right. Uh, I've heard people sometimes have horrific, have seen horrific things uh, as part of the sleep paralysis and other people, it's just the actual sleep paralysis, but they feel 
feel something evil. And I'm going to use the E word because, you know, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but so much so that it's like, it's not like, oh, you know how sometimes let's say you fall asleep um, on your arm or your, you know, and you, and it's kind of like, it doesn't move and you're like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable, but you're not scared. It's just like, oh, my arm fell asleep because I fell asleep on top of it. Or I had a certain position where the circulation cut off. Yeah. it's I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sleep paralysis where you, the person cannot sleep. I mean, cannot move. You can't move. And they will, if they don't see or they feel like there's a presence, you know, you hear it described as a presence of something evil. All right. And, and one of the things that, you know, you get from um, people that have described these experiences, like I wasn't dreaming. I was fully awake. Because it's like I was hyper awake, as a matter of fact, because uh, almost like, you know, when you get scared that all your senses sharpen up, people get into that. It's like I know perfectly well that I'm not asleep because I'm totally aware I can't move my body, but I can see everything. Maybe if, you know, depending on your position that you're in, you can even look and see what, you know, if you've got a that most people don't have nowadays, but, you know, a clock or something that you could make out even what time it is. Um, in other words, uh, they, they're, you're hyper, hyper awake because, you know, you, you, you know, you get people that say, well, you were just having a bad dream and they're like, no, 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 it wasn't a bad dream. So yeah, they, some people will have that version of it. And I have heard of people having it reoccurring, but not as, you know, Sometimes I've heard of people having it when they've lived at certain places that may, leads, you, leads you to believe, was there something there? Like, in other words, they were having the sleep paralysis. They move away to another place and the sleep paralysis stops. Now, what could be causing it to begin with? Or was it something there in particular of that location? Because in, in her case, what she's describing is she's, She's had these episodes of sleep paralysis throughout her life. And I'm sure it sounds like she's moved. You know, she's not in the original place where she lived at when she was a child. All right. So it's one of those weird things that everybody has some individual version of it. Um, and I'm glad she, you know, she uh, described it that she went through that period where she didn't have it. And then because I, she, you know, she took the, she answered be, before I was even able to ask, which is what triggered it. Okay. You're not a child, but see, when you're a child, there's this feeling of helplessness basically. And, and a lot of times what a child is looking for is a protector, especially if they feel unsafe, which might've to her, it might've been like, she said that her parents couldn't be there. Maybe she was in a hospital setting and her parents couldn't be there constantly. And, and a child is a child. A child doesn't logic that. So maybe there were moments that she wanted a protector. Um, and, but when she was an adult, fast forward so many years, and I'm glad she explained that this, everything returned with the death of her mom and other things that were going on in her life. And um, sometimes this is, the fear being the the key, what did I say, the common denominator. Um, this is why sometimes you'll even, you'll, even people that have a tendency to, to sleepwalk, they usually will do it when they're anxious or 
you know, uh, have a, something pressing them, like really worrying them. And, uh, you know, that they, they don't know how to turn off the, the, you know, the, the thing that keeps us from basically moving around when we dream. Sometimes you'll have that. Uh, it's, it's usually anxiety, fear. And you, if you want to say that that opens a doorway, of course, of course it does. All right. Of course it does. And, you know, she gave a lot of explanations for a lot of things that I'm sure people, some people will agree with some people will go, I don't, I don't buy that, but you have to look at everything. I do. I do believe regardless of what your beliefs are, whether it's spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, belief in the way life is or isn't that, you know, we've, we keep trying to divorce spirituality from everyday life as in what I can feel, see, touch. And I'm talking, and by this, I'm not talking about religious beliefs. I'm talking spiritual beliefs. What, of whatever religion you have, if you have one, how's that? And we try to divorce them and either it's here, here. And even if you believe in one and the other, but still they're totally separate. All right. And I think that I think that we, there's a lot in this world that just because we don't see it or that our five senses don't pick up on it doesn't mean it's not there or it affects us. All right. And some of these things are static. And I think a lot of research that's been done into physics will explain a lot of things as far as what maybe our eyes don't understand or see. There's something in us that recognizes it. And, but here we're talking, how can I say, uh, things that are mm, how's, well, not, uh, not sentient. Okay. Now what she's talking about is something that's sentient that tries to reach us. And, and I'm sure a lot of people will hear how when they've seen ghosts or had, had paranormal, and I'm not, by this, I'm not talking sleep paralysis. I'm talking like a, you know, that they've seen a ghost or they've had you will have a lot of people, and I self my have heard of these cases. People have told me it's when people are asleep or they wake up. That's why you'll you, you'll have people that, you know, I'm sure you've heard of uh ghost encounters where they were asleep and they wake up and they see somebody at the foot of their bed or they see somebody in the other part of the house. In other words, it's it's almost like when that point where you bring down the chatter in your mind and everything comes down that it's almost that accessibility is that's when it's most possible. And I think that, um, and I, it's just because your mind is, it's just different. It's quieted down. How's that? Which by the way, if you think about it, that's the intent of a lot of times of meditation is to quiet your mind. In other words, quiet it so that you don't have, you're not doing the to-do list you're not thinking of, you know, on my phone and now, and I've got a call and the appointment and tomorrow, let me see if I can. All right. In other words, it's that moment of quietness that it, which by the way, is very, for the creative person is very good. Some of the best ideas I've come up with have been when I wake up in the morning or I'll remember stuff and I'll go, oh my God, I can't remember. Or I hadn't thought of that. It's almost because it's almost like you've given your brain or your mind that time to like, 
everybody else get out of the way so I could tell you, hey, remember this? Or, hey, have you thought of that? My point being, though, that that openness or that freshness is also if what Vicky's describing is sometimes will allow that communication where maybe you will be drawn in. If you want to, I don't, I don't want to know if you want to call it a dimension or what they call the middle plane or something like that, where everything is there. It's, I, I want to say it's like the wild west, you know, you got the outlaws and you got the sheriff and everything in between. Um, well, whatever's there converses with you and tells you what you want to hear, you know, maybe even knows better than you do what you truly want or what you fear. Um, and it's like, you know, it's like, and everybody's different, you know, everybody's different. And basically they, they tell you, or you, you hear. And, and if you have a, how can I tell you? It's like, let's face it. We're all, all, you know, I think it's part of human nature. We're all uh, can fall to flattery, flattery in different ways whether you're told you're important or you're wanted or you're beautiful or you're uh, whatever, you're smart uh, or you're talented. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, we all fall for it. Okay. No matter what. Um, and like what I said, that's when the seduction starts. If, you know, according to what she's saying, which I'm not ready to discount it I, either way. I mean, that's a very, very deep subject a very deep subject when you start thinking about what happens when we go to sleep. Um, where exactly do we go when I say we, as in not physically, obviously, because you're in your bed, but are, if you, if you want to call it your etheric body or your soul or your spirit or your whatever, what does it go? What does it do now? Who does it converse with when it's out there? What does it see? You know, is it because you're always thinking, well, you know, um, how can I say this? Even if you're a full grown adult and you could even consider yourself cynical, like, oh, I've heard it all. Sometimes in that state. There every what's the what's the thing? Everybody has a chink in their armor. There's always a way to, you know, like when you're trying to open the package that all you need is a little hole. So that you can start going and then you open it up. I think every everybody has a chink in their armor. Some more people more than others. But um, where if but again. If. You don't if, if, if there's if if in other words, you if if you're not there to listen, it doesn't matter what they have to say. He, what I'm saying, they, they as an, I don't know what they is. All right. If you don't lend an ear, it doesn't matter because I'm not there to listen to it. Sorry. Uh, it's one of those deals. Once you, and I do agree with her, which we said about it as far as, and I've talked about in other shows as in the supernatural and the metaphysical in the paranormal, what is seen as an invitation. It's like almost like an exchange kind of deal. Um, and I'm sure, you know, once upon a time when people like, um, you know, if you received an invite, let's say even, even if you received an invite for dinner, you know, people would not come to your dinner empty handed. And this was before BYOB or BYOB. This was, it was expected that you would come with some gift 
or something for the host or anything, because there was always, ex it, how can I say it? It wasn't just a question of etiquette or manners. It was like always, there was always an exchange. And you see that across different cultures. Okay. It's not because you say Western culture. No, you see that in a lot of cultures where there was always an exchange of whatever it was. Sometimes it was a physical thing. In some cases, you will have heard of people that you saved their life and basically they owed you the same, you know, that your their life belonged to you or they had to do, in other words, for them to be square with you, they had to give you back something of equivalent value, all right? My point being that when you start that, in other words, nothing can happen. There can be no exchange, no invitation, no offer, no agreement if you don't listen, okay? Because like she said, if you if there's no exchange, if we don't talk about something, somebody shows up at your house and wants to come in and you're like, what are you doing here? You can't get out of here, all right? And usually before the invitation, there has to be an exchange of whatever. Somebody listens. Same thing. Think of the best salespeople that you know. All right. All they need is for you to give them a little bit of time for you to listen to them. If you don't, if they, if they can't give you the pitch that they know they're toast, they're done. You're never going to do anything or buy or whatever the case might be. All they're looking for. That's why sometimes you will see some of these shows, um, even infomorphers or even some other shows that, uh, you know, you're thinking, oh, wow, this is great. This is for free. Yeah, that's a great show. But in the meantime, basically what they're doing is, okay, all we're doing is we know we were buying your attention so that in the meantime, we will be able to sell you something. How? Because we're going to get you to listen to it. And I'm sure you've seen some of those early morning, three, four in the morning infomercials where... Sometimes they'll bring on, it's almost like a, a talk show kind of setting and they'll bring in some expert or experts and they'll start talking about things that are really important, like your health. You know that the body works this way and we have found through studies that they're, and by the way, what they're presenting, I'm not saying is not true. Okay. But of course they have the solution. That's the sales pitch. The same thing. If you don't listen to it, nobody's going to sell you anything. Now question is how do you not have that exchange with whatever i mean let's go down that rabbit hole shall we interesting very interesting anyway guys i hope you liked this interview i really loved it i i'm going to bring her back again um visit her website and like she said okay her name is vicky joy anderson but her book is only available through ellie marzulli's website and you're not going to find it on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or anything like that. I'm sure she probably does have a link from her website uh, over to where you can buy the book. And again, the name of the book, I'm going to tell you right now, is They Only Come Out at Night Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. And as a matter of fact, L.A. Marzuli did the forward for her on this book. All right. So again, go to mppellister.com. MiamiGhostChronicles.com, and you'll have a link from there over to Substack. Again, if you want to listen to any of my podcasts, I have all my episodes from the first one. Um, if you want to listen to them for free, no commercial interruptions, 
uh, you can go to them and you can search for them, you know, whether by topic or if you have a certain guest that you like. You can listen to it on the browser. You can download the MP3 file. There you have access to just about anything. Or if you want to jump over to any of the podcast platforms, maybe you have a favorite one, iHeartRadio. I'm on that. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Spreaker. I'm on iTunes. I'm on all the major I'm, I just Another one I just joined was Podbelly. Just look for Stories of the Supernatural, which is this show, or Nightshade Diary, like I said, which is uh, your, you know, adventure, mystery, horror stories from yesteryear, or Supernatural Storytime, which is just firsthand scary stories, people talking about experiences they've had with the weird. Again, till next time, thank you so much for coming and spending this time with me. And come back. I have a lot of great guests that are going to leave you going, huh? Till then, take care.